Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Well, hello, partygoers, and welcome to another episode of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And Mary? Yes? This week, we're taking a little bit of a, a detour yep. from our regular thing of taking other detours. So- this is a different detour than we normally take. And, you know, I was feeling really guilty, like we had piled up all this listener comment, and we'd never get through it all. And then I went way back, and I started to... Started to go through the comments that were on the website, and I was like, "Man, these seem really familiar." And I kept like copying them, and then I was reading them, and I was thinking, "I'm sure we've talked about this before." Yeah. And then I looked ahead, and I realized that there was the Halloween debacle that was our reader comment reader comment one, and also we played music for it as well. Yeah. That ended up really being really long. Right. So I thought, well, that was a real mess. So I thought I'd do that all over again. So I have a combination of music. Yep. And listener mail this time again. Right. So I figure, you know, one fiasco deserves another. So that not that the saying? Um, I don't think so. Oh, well, then I mixed it up. Anyway, uh, it's going to be another fiasco, and I thought we'd just do it all over again. What the heck? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so how are you doing, dear? I'm good. How are you? You seem a little subdued today. Do I? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's just like that. There's an example. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of sleepy. You had no, you had no follow up. No, to that. no follow up. I'm kind of sleepy today. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna get how much energy you gonna put into this show? All, every all the energy I can muster. Okay, but like on on average, say let's yeah. say that your normal day is 100 percent energy. That seems generous, but okay. Well, just like you know, normally you have 100 percent right. of what you normally have, right? Right. But today you are working on maybe 50. 50 percent, maybe. Oh, maybe, maybe less, or maybe more. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to, um, you know, quantify. Yeah, it's hard to quantify. Well, I feel like last Thursday when I was operating under my vaccine mm-hmm. illness, you're twenty five percent. I was twenty five percent. Yeah, I had a quarter of the energy that I normally have. Yeah, and I could, I was just barely making it. In fact, I wish that I had said at work that, like, after I finished, I had to be there for part of the morning because I had yeah. something to do. I needed to be there for. But then when I finished that, I, I wish I had said, you know what, I'm good. But instead, I like, I moped through the rest of the, I don't want to say I moped, but yeah. I, I like, I just sort of, uh, I don't even want to call it dawdling. Like, I don't know what I did. I like worked for the rest of the day, but it was like the most laborious work I've ever yeah. done in my life. I, like. I did that once when I had an ear infection at work. Okay. And like, I had my head hurt so bad, my ear hurt, my jaw was really sore, I couldn't talk mm-hmm. because I was so like in such pain. Yeah. And I, like, had – at that point, I was um, working at the camp on the island. Yes. So I had – and this was on the Saturday. I was supposed to stay until the Monday. It was I think it was May long weekend. Okay. And so I was supposed to be there – I usually left on Sunday. I was supposed to be there until, like, leaving Monday evening that, that week. But because I was so sick, I left a day early. Okay. Or two days early, technically. Mm-hmm. And I had scheduled a boat, uh, and I would called to schedule, and I was like, well, like, I guess I'll just schedule one for – like 5.30 or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like there probably were earlier ones, but I scheduled one for that day, yeah. for that time. And then, yeah, just like slogged through the rest of the day. <laughs> That's like, a good word for it. Completely miserable, like <laughs> not really giving much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was like, why? Yeah. Why did I do that? That's how I kind of felt. Because then on 
on Friday, one of two different workmates left at lunch before lunchtime. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I could have, I could have done that yesterday. I couldn't have left before lunch, but I could have left like shortly afterwards. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, why didn't I? Oh well, my work ethic, also my greed for more money. <laughs> greed for more money. So the re- the detour we're taking today, Mary, I think we talked about this last episode. Is we're going to we're going to do, uh, or maybe we kind of hinted at it earlier. Is that we're going to uh, read listeners' comments. We've had lots of comments from the website. And so I thought we'd do that. And then I also thought that um, we'd play some top five songs. So I created some some categories. Uh, and we're going to play those songs. So the categories, Mary. Yes. The first category mm-hmm. is hair. Hair metal. Oh, great. Not hair metal. We're listening to some nice hair metal. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah. We're going to start off with Rat. And we're going to have Wasp. Mm-hmm. And then the group Striper. Mm-hmm. Who, although is not, isn't an insect name or like a, a wasp or bee related yeah. name, did dress in yellow and black. Okay. Like they were bees. Stripes. Yeah. 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 And then we'll also finish off with uh, Adam and the Ants, which is totally unrelated and not and not, uh, and not even really like a related insect at all to bees or wasp or anything. Right. But Well, ants. Yeah. Or an insect. Maybe I should just play the theme song from the Green Hornet. Okay, so hair songs? <laughs> we're going to do hair songs. Okay. Uh, we're going to start off with one of my faves. This is the Cow Sills. Uh, the song is Hair, which came from the musical God... Uh, I say Godspell. came from the musical Hair. <laughs> what a mix-up. How, I don't know why, how I did... Why, it's so easy to confuse the two, right? The song Hair coming from Godspell, it's so obvious. Uh, the song Hair, which came from the play Godspell. And this is the Cow Sills version, which they... Left out a bunch of uh, verses and dropped all the religious stuff that was uh, in the the uh, musical version, which compared the lead character to Jesus and his hair as being like Christ-like and stuff like that. And correctly, the councils thought that is not going to fly mm-hmm. in the marketplace. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna leave out those lyrics from that play that features people acting naked on stage. Uh, you know, this countercultural, play, countercultural revolutionary uh, sort of play. And we'll just make we'll just make it for the people. And you know what's kind of interesting is the song that kept this song from number one, because they were in number two for two two weeks, which is a pretty good hit in the 60s, uh, was another song from Hair, the Fifth Dimensions version of uh, Age of Aquarius slash Let the Sunshine In, which are also, were also from the musical Hair, okay. not from the musical Godspell. Don't get that confused. Okay, I won't. So... Anyway, let's listen to the cow sills and hair. Here we go. She asked him why. Why I'm a hairy guy. I'm hairy noon and night. night, night. My hair is a fright I'm hairy high and low But don't ask me why Cause he don't know It's not for lack of bread Like the grateful dead Darling Give me a head with hair Long, beautiful hair Shining, gleaming, streaming, flaxing, waxing Give me down to there Shoulder length longer Here, baby, there, mama 
So that was uh, Hair from the musical Hair by the Cowsills, a family band. Or from the musical Godspell. Not from the musical Godspell, Mayor. Th- <laughs> thank you. I was going to say that they were a family band. Okay. The Cowsills were. The Partridge family were based on the Cowsills. The Cowsills were actually offered the chance to be the Partridge family, but right. in order to do that show, they would have had to not have their mother, who sang in the group, sing. Right. sing. The, the part would have been taken by Shirley Jones. Why? Because uh, they they were building the sitcom around her, but they want, still wanted to use because um, it was a pretty major part in the show, I guess. So right. They wanted to have people with some acting, a right? Bit that's chops. that's fair. But that would have meant that the mum, the mother cow, still couldn't have couldn't have been a member. So so they decided not to do it. I think the group kind of ended very unhappily. I, one of the Cowsills lived here for a long time. I think Billy Cowsill, hmm. but he was a very troubled fellow, but a long time habitué of uh, of Vancouver's. Uh, nightclubs and things like that are interesting i mean i think that like family sort of entertainment working relationships like that are often kind of unhealthy yeah apparently know? the dad was a bit of a ding dong so that made you know didn't was abusive and didn't you yeah. know didn't treat the, the, the members of the family very well i mean i mean it's so hard because you do need someone who's driven in order to create a talented group of people yeah. like that it's the same with the jacksons right there the dad of the dad of that family was a apparently abusive as well and yeah. you know but I mean, you can do that without being a jerk, right? Like, sure, sure. The Marx yeah. Brothers' mom, yes, right. Like, she was the like business mind behind it, mm-hmm. but like, she from you know what I've heard doesn't seem like she was like you know like treated treated her children like their entire purpose in life was to make her money. No, but their entire purpose was to act for the family, act in the interest of the family. Mm-hmm. To a degree, yeah. I, I mean, you I know, it's hard to say. There's a reason. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a reason that Chico left young and, and wasn't around for for a part of the, the yeah. time of, of uh, as the Marx Brothers. But 
But his, I mean, his personality probably also was part of that as well. Yeah. You know. And I mean, like, but you know, I agree with you. Yeah. There's a difference between her. being like, you know, people like people saying that they don't want to be around their parents because their parents are like, um, can like, what's the word? Controlling? Or? No, just like obsessed with their image as a family. Oh, okay. Right? Like, but mm-hmm. I think that that's more common than a situation where people, someone treats their kids like the sole breadwinners. Yeah, yeah. Who, like, need to be working all the time. Sure, sure. You know? Like, one of those seems, like, more unhealthy than the other one. Like, <laughs> neither of them are great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But being I, like, you, I, I don't want you to embarrass the family is different than, like, you need to be working all the time as a child, like, as a baby, so that you can... <laughs> And, like, if you don't work and you don't do a good job, then we're going to starve and it's your fault. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. All right. Do you want to uh, do you want to read the first comment here? Sure. I can do that. So this is from episode 54. So Chris Roberts said, hang on, Dave, you don't like Oasis? But, I mean, you have to, dude. Everyone loves Oasis. They're like the eagles of Britpop. <laughs> and then bracket, patooey, ding. <laughs> And bracket. I guess that's reference to my uh, pretending to spit into a into a uh, spittoon, special spittoon, my eagle yeah. spittoon during that episode. <laughs> um, Which is still here, by the way. <laughs> I, maybe I should use it since I did said the eagles. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> um, another lovely show from both of you. I don't care Thanks. if it did take fifty-four episodes. Mary's VanCon remark was very funny and totally worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of lines from Dave had me LOLing too. Namely, a movie should have an arc. That movie had a bowl, the sword and the stone, uh, and the description of Sub Pop being flushed with grunge money. I don't know why exactly, but that phrase really tickled me. <laughs> so, to the songs, let's get that garbage ready for throwing. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's what I was comparing myself. To. felt like I was climbing up a ladder while people were, th- were dropping garbage <laughs> on, down on me. Um, I don't remember that at all. Uh, <laughs> Ford wasn't your feelings. <laughs> Ford Juniper, nice '60s feel, and I enjoyed it. The melodic bass line along alone made it worth a listen, even though I'm not entirely. Oh, oh man, my brain today. Even though I'm not sure it entirely served the song, Mary's CFS grade was on the mark. Zampano, as Mary said, this almost sounded like the same band, but with a bit more oomph to use a technical term. <laughs> as a result, I liked it better. Supergrass. I haven't really listened to much Supergrass beyond the singles. Now I'm thinking, why not? This was great. Yeah, uh, they're, they're a really good band. And then here's an etymological sidebar. Mm. In British slang, a grass is an informant, as I believe we mentioned that in the episode. Okay. Or an episode, at least, we mentioned that. Mm-hmm. A Supergrass is one whose testimony nails multiple bad guys. I haven't checked this, because why would you? But I'm pretty sure the term is musical in origin, derived from the lyrics of the song Whispering Grass, recorded by the Ink Spots, among many others. Whispering <laughs> Grass, don't tell the trees, because the trees don't need to know. Hmm. What, why didn't you sing that? What? I said, why didn't you sing that? Because um, I don't know the song. Uh, the Flash Cubes. Blech. <laughs> what? Better duck, Dave. Here comes the garbage. <laughs> I guess there's always one song we differ on, and this was it. Not even the hand claps could save it for me. Partly the lyrics put me off, but it wasn't crazy about the drippy vocals either. On the plus side, good drums. The earlies. This one had me confused. To begin with, it sounded like a wittily wicked parody of Bonnie Vare, and I never quite shook off that first impression. On the other hand, I really liked the playing and the production and the way the song built as it went on. On balance, then, a winner. Could have done without the chipmunk bit, though. <laughs> I think you can say that about every song. 
<laughs> um, Cuff the Duke. Yay. OnCon. Mm. Ontario content, <laughs> I'm nice. assuming. Yeah. Uh, good fun track. I enjoyed all the quotes from other songs. Am I incorrect in remembering that Cuff the Duke is a euphemism for M. Solitary Pleasures? You are correct. Uh, moving on to Mother Tucker's <laughs> Yellow Duck. We don't, want to, we don't want to talk about that nope. more, Mary? Nope. One of okay. the best on this mix. Brilliantly played with a particularly hot rhythm section. Since you folks claim not to listen to lyrics, let me just say they're of their time, but that's okay. I listen, I, I just, I do listen to lyrics. It's usually not on a, the first time I listen to a song. Mm. Uh, I do listen to lyrics because I do I sing along with songs. It's just I don't rank a song or read a song by its lyrics. Right, and you don't really you don't remember them outside of the context of the song. That's right? also a problem. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, I don't have a memory for lyrics. Yeah, like someone couldn't be like, "Hey, Dave, what's the first line of Eleanor Rigby?" Oh, well, that's pretty easy because uh, look at all the lonely people. Is it? Ah, uh, look at all okay. the lonely people. That's fair. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Dad, you're disproving yourself. <laughs> um, all right, the dramatics. Fantastic. That's a song I could probably probably sing, sing. in entirety. Yeah, not yeah, maybe not entirely, but a good one. I know. Do you remember in yesterday when he just goes through and like gets all the lyrics for the songs? Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> there me? are there are some things where he doesn't remember stuff, or he's try- yeah. he's trying to like. Use like mu- like little memory cues to yeah. try to get get them. That's pretty realistic. Well, I think that but... he does like get a bit more once he meets the other two people too, right? Mm-hmm. Which seems like more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> um... <laughs> That's all right. It's not much of a spoiler. Um. Oh, yeah. the dramatics. I already said. I said this one. The, I'll say it again. The dramatics. Fantastic singing and a real tight groove. Yeah, that's a good one. Chunky, Novi, and Ernie. Another favorite. Loved the song, the singing, and the instrumentation. Uh. Bass? Bass and violin stood out. You were going to say the fish name, were you? I was trying to remember which was which. <laughs> but all the players were fantastic and gelled beautifully. That's funny. You didn't like that song, but Chris did. That's that's interesting. Uh, Mothers of Invention. Zappa's body of work is so huge and diverse that I find it a bit daunting. I know his more accessible 1970s output best, but this earlier, weirder shit is amazing. It put a huge smile on my face, and I laughed out loud at the final percussion. <laughs> I love the playfulness and the sense of freedom, and will definitely be checking out more Zappa from this period. My favorite track on this mix, although I did enjoy Mary's description of Duncan and Eve's less positive reactions. <laughs> Uh yeah, I, I'm. It's funny. I to me personally, I think of Zappa's seventy material. That's oh, weird. I guess it is. I guess it is supposedly more accessible, but it's. It's. I guess it's accessible and also inaccessible at the same time. There, are, there is uh, the occasional like attempts to to um you know kind of butter up the butter up to the audience with kind of you know kind of little sophomoric bits of humor or whatever. Although let's all remember that Michael uh, O'Donoghue defined sophomoric as as uh, uh, what does he say? Something like that. A spur people's way to say funny, but mm. um, uh, yeah, I I think I always think of the 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 sixty stuff as being his most accessible, just because it's it's so of its time and its sound. I mean, by the time you get to the later part of the sixties, it it's true it does sort of start to divide itself from the, the from the the run of the mill. But I mean, in terms of like what everyone was doing, it I don't it didn't really it doesn't seem to stand out to me as that being that crazy. You know, because everyone was really ex- experimental at that time and trying out different things. You know, come on. Revolution 9 is on, you know. Anyway, go on, Mary. Um, Of the extras, Superconductor sound like they'd have been a wonderful live band. I guess part of me will always be 27 because I dug this one a lot. <laughs> Not quite the Pixies, but close enough. Uh, Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck were pretty good again, quite birds-ish this time. 
Mock Duck were fun, too. Harpsichord and flute, baby. <laughs> Rebecca and the Sunnybrook Farmers. Well, yeah, the band name is great, but I found the song just too overwrought and earnest for its own good. Oh, the 60s. <laughs> uh, this was another fine show. Almost three hours flew by in your excellent company. Twice. All right. Thanks, Chris. That's very nice. Yeah, it surprises me that Chris listens to the show twice. I... I one of the reasons I put in uh, time markers was for Chris. I just assumed that he just wouldn't have to listen to the whole show again. He could just go <laughs> find the songs more quickly that way, but all right. Here's another hair song, then. Uh, this is by a band called, well, by a person who goes by the name Pearly Gates Music. Actually, his name is Zach Tillman. He's the br brother of Josh Tillman, another person who performs under a, a pseudonym. Yeah, Father John Misty. Yeah. Of formerly of uh, the Fleet Foxes. That is true. Or sorry, Fleet Foxes, not the Fleet Foxes. Yeah, I know what you meant. The band Fleet Foxes. <laughs> this song is called Gossamer Hair, and it's right in that a little bit of music I love, which is kind of like freak folk. That's how I kind of think of this stuff. So this is uh, from the album was just called Pearly Gates Music. It came out in 2010, and this is Gossamer Hair. Let's give it a listen. I know you noticed, I know you noticed my clumsy hand Run through your head of, run through your head of gossamer hair I know you noticed, I know you noticed my clumsy hand Run through your head of, run through your head of gossamer hair Gossamer hair Oh God, I'm in a Gossamer hair 
Right, so that was Pearly Gates music, or AKA, I should say, AKA uh, Zach Tillman. Remember, did you hear a little bit of his older brother and his music? Yeah, definitely. I think that they had, well, I mean, I imagine that they have like similar influences. Mm-hmm, I know mm-hmm. that they they grew up in like quite an evangelical Christian family. Okay. Um, okay. Like his mom was a missionary, like mm. her family was missionaries in Africa. She was born in Ethiopia. Okay. Um, and he went, they both, well, I imagine, I know, um, Josh Tillman did, I imagine Zach did as well, went to like private Baptist um, schools sure. growing up and everything, and mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to listen to any like secular music at all. Yeah. But then when Josh Tillman was, I think, 17, his parents let him listen to secular music that had like religious themes, like Bob, like some Bob Dylan stuff. Okay. But I wonder if like Zach, being the younger brother, got... Like even more, yeah. You know, it's possible. Like I, th- I think that once tends the floodgates to... are opened, yeah, I think that tends to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like people, well, I think it can happen the other direction too, right? Where like the first kids maybe get like a looser upbringing, then it gets tighter, but mm-hmm. it can also be like if everything is quite like strict, yeah, and then like it starts to loosen a little bit, then it gets even looser for the younger kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And well, I think what I like about Zach Tillman, he's less scolding than. Than uh, his bro- older brother. Yeah. Uh, listening to Father John Misty always makes me feel like I'm just being being yelled at for something I, I didn't even do. <laughs> but anyway. Hmm, I, I more think that Josh Tillman is yelling at him, at himself. Maybe. You know? This feels like feels like he's talking to me, though, and not to himself. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he hit him, himself as a person, is often like a... A character in his songs, mm. you know, and not one that he views very positively. Interesting. There's a song called The Night Josh Tillman Came to My Apartment or something, <laughs> and it's like not. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Oh, check it out. All right, so we have a letter from, from Louise, another regular contributor. And she says, uh, about the same episode, she says, Wow, this mixtape was all over the map, stylistically, as well as geographically. Thanks for the trip down Van Con memory lane. I certainly remember partying and hanging out in some of those old subdivided Kitsilano rental houses that provided cheap accommodation for university students and artists. I remember them as well. Not as well as I remember ones in East Vancouver, though. I think Kitsilano by that point had sort of been taken over by by a by kind of the well better off artists. Yeah, like wealthy bohemians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck is one of those bands whose groovy posters you'd see plastered to a streetlight or a telephone pole. And Flash Cubes. I haven't thought about Flash Cubes for years. The product, not the band. I had, an, I had a Kodak Instamatic that used them. They had a maximum range of about 10 feet. So there must be millions of photos out there with a the foreground perfectly lit and the subject's faces in shadow. <laughs> I imagine so. And everyone's eyes all aglow. Cause there's no other way to... There's no, like... Uh, flash before the flash went off or anything like that. Right. It was just all just whatever you got was just a bunch of people who look like possums caught in a <laughs> by a headlight. All right. How about another hair song, Mare? Sure. So this is the... We played this band before. We played this song, uh, Save My Soul, by this band. This is Wimple Witch, who were originally the... the I think they're called the, the Just Four Men, and which was, wasn't a reference to hair dye. And they... Um, Became like when the '60s became more freaky. They changed, they you know, they changed the style of their music away from sort of the, the kind of um, whatever we would call it at the time period, the beat 
beat group sounds and more into the freak beat or psychedelic sounds. And they changed the name of their band as well to something that was more suitable to the, to the new sounds. And so this is an unreleased song from that time period. It's recorded but never released. But it came out on a, um, on a collection called Tales from the Sinking Ship in 2009. And so this is a song called Marmalade Hair. Marmalade being a very popular psychedelic adjective. I don't know why. Hmm. There's the kaleidoscope song Marmalade Skies as well. So, of course, Paddington. I think the most well, <laughs> psychedelic comic. <laughs> it's the most psychedelic thing, but I think it was, I think it was just that combination of something that was homey and comfortable. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what that and sort of kind music, of British and very very British, not yeah. kind of British. Sorry, and very entirely British and exclusively British. <laughs> yes, yes. And also, I think many syllables as well. Yeah. I think that a lot of sort of like psychedelic sounding words were mm-hmm. like long. Yeah. 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 So yeah, they like that weird adjective with something else, some you know some weird, yeah. some kind of prosaic noun, such as marmalade hair. Hair. So let's give it a listen, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. 
Alright, and we're back. That was uh, Wimple Witch. Mary, did you have any uh, feelings about that song? Uh, I thought it was fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a good description of it. It, is, it sounds like they're having fun as well, so <laughs> with the little chick-a-chick uh, vocal parts. And, and of course, the bass player, freed by Paul McCartney to uh, just do whatever the heck he wanted to do in the background there, which is kind of fun. I like... I like melodic bass playing, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of fun bass runs going on in that song. Where the guitar playing is fairly simple, the bass is doing quite a bit of of the heavy lifting there, and and the uh, great vocal effects. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Very 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 psychedelic and of its time, but uh, unfortunately at the time, scene is not releasable, so it's too bad. I think they released like three singles that none of them were like super big smashes or anything. So they, they kind of ceased operation after that, but they did record singles that, that weren't used or, you know, material that was not used. So anyway, so uh, how about our next comment? Yeah. So for episode 55, Ed Dragansky. Um, and again, Ed, thanks so much for changing your last name for our show. We really appreciate that. <laughs> Drag, Dragonski, yeah. Dragon, like Sneaky Dragon? Sure, yeah. I, obviously, big fan. Yeah. Um, all right. So Ed said, very, very good collection of music this time. Much of it is new to me, so I had fun with exploring and enjoying your gift of music. Thoroughly enjoyed the music of the heavy blinkers. I love that happy pop sound of dressing down. Almost a Beach Boys-esque vibe to it. I think they'd cop to that. Thank you for sharing the voice of Eleanor Friedberger, too. Really nice work from her. I enjoyed her music and will look into more from her. There's nothing like the giving of good music. It's why I love your podcast so much. And thank you for the download link for... Oh, thank you for the download link for Nathan's music. <coughs> download link? Whoa. I love that you offer this on Mega. What's Mega. <laughs> Uh, Mega Download, it's a oh. file, file sharing site. Oh, okay. Not that I would ever do that with music that was not mine. No, of course not. You and Mary keep knocking it out of the park with every podcast. Well, thank you. Should I read his next yeah, thing Yeah, just as read well? his next thing. So he also said, I also forgot to mention that Giving It All by 2020 sounded like a backdrop theme to late 70s made-for-TV movie or sitcom, uh, which is what makes it so great. Love the music you guys bring to this podcast. I'm ready to add it all to my iTunes right now. Oh, that's great. All right. Hey, do you want to read the next, what the next song is going to be, Mary? Oh, sure. Song? Our next song is a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song called Almost Cut My Hair, full version, from the album Deja Vu, which came out in 1970. Yes. Yeah, so the version on the album is about a little over three minutes long. And this one is... 11. This one is a 24-minute long version. So oh, great. We're, Mary and I are going to sit and listen to it together here while she glares at me impatiently. So here we go, everyone. I'm just joking. It's not quite that long. It is a, a longish one. It's got some... It allowed for some fun interplay between Stephen Stills and, uh, and... Just out of curiosity. How long? I think it's a little over six minutes. Oh, okay. Not as bad as I was. <laughs> All right. So let's give a listen, everyone. Here we go. Day. It's getting kind of long 
said it was in my way But I didn't And I wonder why I feel like letting my freak flag fly If I Because I had the flu for Christmas And I'm not feeling up to bar It increases my paranoia Like looking at my mirror and seeing a bully scar But I'm not Giving in an inch to fear Cause I promised myself this year I feel like I owe it
All right, and we're back. That was, uh, as we were saying before, that was Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young with uh, David Crosby's song, Almost Cut My Hair. So that was David Crosby singing. And they're kind of a rare CSN and Y song, and there wasn't a lot of harmonies in it, just uh, David Crosby singing. And then some full-on uh, fretboard finagling from two of that era's finest uh, fretboard finaglers, Stephen Stills and, and Neil Young. Rocking away and something pretty rare at the time too, which is uh, not trading off. There is some trading off of, of lead lines, but also co co leads as well, playing together. There's one point in the song where around the five minute mark where it sounds to me like they were expecting the fade out then, and so they kind of were doing a repetitive part, like it was just going to fade out on that. And then there's some 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 conversation off mic. You can hear someone's voice, maybe David Crosby, uh, exhorting them on, and then they 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 just kind of pick it up again and and continue on, and and uh, it's quite fun. Uh, yeah, so the version on the album is considerably shorter, but that, I think it was an edit of, of this complete version, which was mooted at the time, but it was uh, decided not to put it out that way. And I remember seeing, this was a long time ago on, when YouTube was, was good, and there was a, I don't know if it was on the Ed Sullivan show, it was from somewhere, but it was the whole band, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and they did a live version of Almost Cut My Hair, and also a live version of of um, the Neil Young song from Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere, Down by the River, which was kind of cool to see CSNY do that song, which, of course, on, is just a uh, Young solo song, but it was fun to hear like the full mass vocals of, of, of uh, Crosby, Sills, Nash & Young do it. Um, it used to be on YouTube, but I looked it up a little while ago and it had been taken off, so that's too bad. Someone, I guess, thought they were going to make money from it, but, you know, you can also make money from it by leaving it on youtube and collecting the, the the money from your ad revenue but why not why do that just take it off and hide it from everyone that's much much smarter <laughs> i get to read you just read right so i'm going to read another uh, comment from louise this is from episode 56 which uh was our christmas episode where i chose my own uh, personal favorite not necessarily personal favorite but a bunch of favorite christmas songs that i decided to to unleash on, on unsuspecting listeners and so we leave louise blah, 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 louise wrote and said Happy New Year, Dave and Mary. Thanks for an interesting mix of holiday songs I've never heard before. I give it a two, light, she says in brackets. I'd have given it a one, star, in brackets, except for the overly confusing Christmasometer. Or Christmas Christmasometer. Who called it a Christmasometer? <laughs> the obvious. I think I tried to say it should be called a Christmasometer, and you were like, nope. <laughs> the you were like, no, Mary, oh. that makes sense. I'd not say that. I think he did. <laughs> I don't believe so. Because I don't think it makes sense. Christmasometer. Much much more obvious. Yeah, sure. It's because we say Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yep. The obvious rating scale, according to Louise, should have been one to 12 days of Christmas. One day being, I'd listen to it once, but only when drunk on mulled wine. And 12 days being, I'm playing it on repeat until I finish this entire box of chocolate truffles. Well, you say that makes sense, but I think my not confusing at all Christmasometer was much more. I like that sensible. as a rating system. I feel like you rarely see rating systems that go up to 12. Mm -hmm. I watched Spinal Tap last night. Yeah. And I learned that on IMDb, most of the movie reviews go up to 10. Yeah. But for, um, for This is Spinal Tap, it goes up to 11. <laughs> so you can rate the movie out of 11 stars, which <laughs> I think good. is pretty funny. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Just that classic scene. Yes. With... What's the character's name? Do you remember? Nigel? Nigel Tufnell. That's right. Nigel Tufnell, yep. That's right. Telling us, this goes up to 11. <laughs> well, is, is that better? Yes, one better. <laughs> one better, I guess he says. 
That was such a great movie. I, when I saw that movie, I didn't really know any of the actors from that, f- except for Dave, uh, Michael McKean, yeah. who, of course, I knew very well from his time playing in the left bank. But uh, no, I knew him from being uh, Lenny on La- the Laverne and Shirley show, oh, okay. which is a sitcom based on characters from Happy Days. So he played a couple of like these kooky neighbors, Lenny and Squiggy. And so those they were kind of a cultural phenomenon when I was right. a youth. So I knew that actor from that. Yeah. But I probably... So when I saw This Is Final Tab, which I saw uh, Ian Boothby made me watch it. Okay. We were coming back from... We'd gone all the way out to Port Coquitlam to meet a... No, not, to Coquitlam anyway, to meet a, fr- a girlfriend of his, like a mm-hmm. friend of his. And we went and saw part of Poltergeist 2 or 3, Oof. which was pretty awful. Yeah, good choice. Well, it was just, you know, anyway. So then we we met I mean, there. She so, was working as an usher at this theater. Oh, yeah. Sometimes And sometimes you just want to see a movie, you know? It doesn't really matter what's, what's on. It's exactly. I saw... um, What was that one? That King Arthur movie? Mm-hmm. King Arthur. Is that what it was called? I think so. It had like a longer name. I don't know. We saw that one. King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. We just really wanted to see a movie. It was not, it was not very good. No. Should have, should have watched The Kid Who Would Be King. Well, that came out in a different year. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was a problem. Um, so, Louise goes on to say. Okay. Oh, I was just going to say. Yeah, so we then we went back from... Uh, we came back on the bus from Coquitlam and Ian insisted that we stop at a video store and we rented Spinal, This Is Spinal Tap and then he made he made us watch it. It is a very good movie. I have not mm-hmm. seen it since that time. I should give it another yeah, watch. Yeah, you should watch day. it. I mean, Duncan and I actually watched... Um, we have the DVD. Oh, we do? Yeah. So you bought the DVD, but mm-hmm. then never watched it. I think it was a gift. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But uh, I don't usually rewatch movies. So. No, I know. But this one's good. And I think that you would like... Oh, I know it's good. <laughs> I know, but I know, but I think that you would like get a lot from it because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that you probably, well, maybe, maybe know more about music now. Oh, even at the time, it seemed so smart to me, like the whole, yeah. the whole girlfriend becoming manager, yeah. part of it, and all the astrology mumbo jumbo, and, yeah. and then that fantastic jazz odyssey in the, uh, yeah, at Sea World or whatever. Like it feels like there's like all these, all these <laughs> things so. that are like referencing mm-hmm. music things that I feel like I like tangentially understand. Maybe in part because of this podcast. Okay. But I feel like there are like deeper levels to it that you would understand with your like more knowledgeable of music ness. Mm -hmm. I remember as a when I was a teenager, a friend and I we did a parody of before we saw before Spinal Tap was even a thing, I did Mm -hmm. did a character. I can't remember his name now, this character, but he was the idea was was kind of that storyline, right? He starts off as um doing like this kind of uh beat beat pop Yeah. yeah kind of stuff and then then they did a psychedelic song, which was called Hey Green Toad. Mm-hmm. And then we then we also did like a heavy metal kind of, like a Black Sabbath style song called Leftovers Again. Okay. And uh, it was me, my friend playing, who's a really good guitar player, but then me embarrassingly singing these songs. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of ashamed of them. But uh, <laughs> it was a funny idea. Yeah. Just the idea of like, because I just like the idea of like one person keeping changing, because you know what happens, right? Like we yeah. were talking well, yeah, a little that's... while ago about pop. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel, yeah. where they started off as like a Everly Brothers, yeah. kind of rockabilly style thing, mm-hmm. and then folk music becomes popular. So oh, now we're folk singers, yeah. and then they do that for a while. Then oh, we're now we're folk rock yeah. singers, you know? But yeah, because like we were just talking about yeah bands who were like or like artists who were yeah they like started singing when they were like twenty, and then they were like forty. And they like rebrand themselves as like, oh, we're like these new cool, we're this new cool rock band, right? For and sure. it's like, yeah, yeah, there's just these like 40 year olds. Yeah. You know, yeah. which. Well, I'm just reading about Nick Lowe, who started off as in a band called Kippington Lodge. Yeah. Very 60s, very psychedelic stuff mm-hmm. produced by Mark Birtz. Um, and then becoming Brinsley Swartz, this uh, British 
band that was very influenced by the band. So doing this sort of Americana style, you know, country music. Yeah. And then he goes solo and becomes Nick Lowe and rock and also rock pile and doing this, you know, and becomes like kind of a spearhead of the British new wave scene. But, you know, he's already been like, he's already been around for yeah. a long time. You yeah. Know? It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go on with Louise's letter. I enjoyed Otis Redding's Merry Christmas Baby. I've only heard the Springsteen version before, which was the 1987 Various Artists album, which was, sorry, which was on the 1987 Various Artists album, A Very Special Christmas. I never heard that album. That winter, I was working front of house for a theater which used the cassette tape for pre-show, intermission, and post-show music all December long. So now whenever one of those tracks, I get that not-this-again feeling, which is too bad. It's not the fault of the songs that I got tired of hearing them. Being old enough to know who Claudine... Did I... Sorry, sorry. When we were doing... Have I talked about when I worked at Michael's over Christmas? You might have. And all that they play is that one Mariah Carey song and also Michael Bublé, and that's it. <laughs> that is all that they would play. That one Mariah Carey song and Michael Bublé's all Christmas I, all songs. All I at Christmas is you? Yeah, or whatever it is. And now whenever I hear a Michael Bublé song or that Mariah Carey song, yeah. my ears start to bleed. How about when you drink Bublé the drink? I don't like carbonated beverages. Oh, okay. Um, you're, sa- you're safe. Yes, I am. Um, but yeah, because like I was there because it was, you know, break or like break from school. Yeah. So I wasn't at school, so I had more time. And then they also needed more people because that was like the, you know, busiest time at Michael's and also in the framing department where I was. Yeah. So I w- would be there like, you know, eight hour shifts, you know, like all, almost like nearing full time. Like they're not letting me work that much, probably like keeping me under 30 hours a week or whatever. But yeah. still. Yeah. A lot, and that's all that they played. <laughs> and like even back in the framing shop, I didn't want to like put on my own stuff if I was. Well, I usually wasn't there by myself because yeah. we were so busy. Yeah. Um. And then I didn't want to put on my own stuff back there because then if someone was up front, or like you know, I, I couldn't hear them or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue with oh, the sure. letter. Thank you. Being old enough to know who Claudine Langer is, I thought. I don't intend to spend Christmas without you sounded threatening and stalkery. Imagine Glenn Close as her character in Fatal Attraction singing it. As far as women in sports scandals go, Langer is right up there with Tanya Harding. I remember SNL did a sketch about the ski competition where all the skiers kept getting accidentally shot by her. Thanks for including the Margot Gurian's sweet and innocent sounding demo to redeem the song for me. (laughs) I think that they had to apologize for that sketch. Did they? Yeah. Well, yeah, because she was found innocent in a court of law. Yeah. So it is an unfortunate thing that happened, but people, it's one of the dangers of keeping guns in your own house, I'm yep. afraid. At first I thought Santa Claus is a black man was a little annoying, but I warmed up to it. Events of the past year have shown how important positive representation is. A few weeks ago, there was an incident in Little Rock, Arkansas, where a family put up a black Santa, Santa blow-up figure in their yard and got an anonymous letter saying, Remove your Negro Santa, claiming that Santa is white, among other things. The nice thing was that other neighbors began putting out their own black Santas in solidarity, which is awesome. That's, That's a great story. A, yeah. yeah, it's like an unfortunate beginning to it. <laughs> but yeah, really good coming together of a community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. That's very nice. That's how it should be. Yes. Makes me a little verklempt. I also liked the light jazzy feel of It's the Most Wonderful Time. Like Mary, I'm not much into bebop, at least not at Christmas. Although no fun made it into, onto the mix, I thought you could use one more snowflake of VanCon, so I'm recommending Holy Winter by local songwriter Hilary Grist off her 2012 album It's Officially Winter Now. It's probably a 4.5, partway between Ho and Tinsel. 
and it says it's not Christmassy, but it's wintry. It has a kind of haunting feel to it. Oh, thanks very I much. I do Liz. not remember. I, I, I'm going to be honest here. I have no idea what that means on the scale because I can't remember what it was because I think I've blocked it from my memory. 4.5. I don't know. Out of what? I can't remember. Did it go up or down? Were there negatives and positive numbers? I don't uh, remember. And you know what, Dad? Ho was, ho was center. Ho was center on, on my I don't know what the center arc. is. Is that zero? Like what? See? It, it the, was, you see how incomprehensible no, it is? not incomprehensible at all. So it's it's just like it's not not Christmassy, uh-huh. and it's not Christmassy. It's just like per like this that that's it like a winter anthem right I, in the center. You know what I mean? Okay. okay. Like if you sing a song. So Dad, was our next song? Oh, Mary! <laughs> Don't make me defend one of the greatest scales of all time. You're gonna be defending that if that's your goal is defending it. You're gonna <laughs> yeah. be defending it for the rest of your life because it will never make any sense to anyone else. So brilliant. anyway, Dad, what's our next song? Our next song. This is our our supposedly our last top five hair song. I, I have to admit, I I crept in a couple extras because I uh, during this because I can't help myself. Dad, then it's don't so call it a to top decide. five. Well, it's a top five and then there's one extra. Okay. Top five was bonus top five track. That's just bad editing. <laughs> that's, the, that's my nature. You're, tu- you're turning into J.K. Rowling for the fifth Harry Potter book. I'm the one who, who edited like, those books. I was what? like, ah, it doesn't need, don't need to cut you're that. You're like, just keep it all in. A 500 word description <laughs> of the toilets and the place, that's fine. No problem. <laughs> all right. No. So this is a uh, one of my favorite bands, and one day I'm going to see them live, because they're going to come back to Vancouver. So this is White Denim, with the song Mess Your Hair Up, from their first album, Workout Holiday, from 2008. Oh, a Christmas song. <laughs> it is not a Christmas song. What? But we were just talking about Christmas songs, and this is this holiday, and the album title is not... This, okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Let's listen to it. I guess I'll let you know after if it's a Christmas song or not. Sure. You can read it on the scale. I will not be doing that.
So that was White Denim with uh, Mess Your Hair Up. So glad I could finally get that song on the show. I, it never made it onto a mixtape, uh, mostly because I, when I did the mixtapes, I didn't have this record yet, so I didn't have an opportunity to put it on, but uh, I've always wanted everyone to hear it, and I'm so glad I was able to play it, because that is just a wonderful, messed up, crazy, noisy bit of fun. I just love that song. <laughs> From the early days when the band was you know, less professional, so they could they could just let it let it all hang out like that. One of the greatest organ guitar trade-offs uh, of all time there. What do you think of it, Mare? Really good. Yeah, it's great, isn't Yeah, it? really good yeah, song. Yeah, a lot of fun. Okay, I guess you can read Chris Roberts' comment. Sure, I can. He usually does really long ones, so yeah. I'll just settle in for, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Chris said, oh, Lordy, the Chris Massimeter. I almost cried with laughter. Fab folks... No, fab, <laughs> fab show, folks. Sufjan rules. Thanks, Chris. Thank he you, does. Chris. Uh, and then our next song is The Girl with the Bullets in Her Hair by K- Chimera. Chimera, yeah. Chimera right. from that's their right. self-titled album, which came out in 2002. Yeah, it could be self-titled or uh, the version I have it. I wrote that down and then I, I was look, looking at my CD and actually it's called Holy Grail. So I don't know. I guess that it came out in different came out in different versions because this was actually never released. So they were oh, okay. they were a duo, two two women. One was a guitarist, songwriter, and vocalist named Lisa Bankoff, and then her partner in the group, vocalist Francesca Garnett. And they almost got signed to Apple Records, but George Harrison vetoed their signing. Hmm. And so they ended up working with a record we've talked about it before. Why did he veto those, their signing? I don't know. Just didn't think huh. they would fit on their label or didn't think they're good enough. I don't know. Sad. Yeah. Everyone has their opinions, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So they ended up on Morgan Bluetown, the Morgan Bluetown label we've talked about before because that was, we were talking a little while ago about, we were talking about the Orange Bicycle and all the various 
uh, name changes and little bitty bits around that. And that was all part of the the Morgan label, a Morgan Blue Town label, that Monty ba- Babson's label. And so Chimera went there and they released this album, or they recorded that album for the label, but unfortunately it never came out because Morgan Blue Town did release some of its own stuff, but often the idea was to record an album and then he would ship it around, he would ship it, he would shop it around town and see if any labels bit, and then he would sell them the masters, and then the, the label would release the album. That never happened, and so it sat on the shelves until 2002 when it came out, and we could hear their wonderful music, including this song, The Girl with the Bullets, or sorry, The Lady with the Bullets in Her Hair. Did I write The Girl? It should be Lady with the Bullets in Her Hair. You did write The Girl. You're thinking of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. That's right. I was confused in all kinds of different ways. But anyway, so this is The Lady with Bullets in Her Hair. She comes out in a barge, silken cord around her bound, light in the water whispering low, waterfall that makes no sound. Wondrous lady, lady fair, what are these bullets in your hair? Only for me. quite unusual in that it two sing two two female singers both of them i think would say, simply say sing in like the alto range which is pretty rare usually it's like a soprano singing with an alto you know and so it's kind of interesting to have two sort of deep voice singers singing but it's a wonderful mix of their vocals i think mm-hmm. what happened was they attracted the attention of nick mason the drummer for pink floyd and so he brought them to morgan blue town and helped produce six songs 
uh, for them. We were talking about Will Malone a little while ago with, with Orange Bicycle and you know his his various things that he did. But he he was the arranger for that. Did the 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 um, string arrangement, and then it also featured what is his name? Richard Wright. Who? One of the, one of the, anyway. Oh, I. I'll... Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, the the keyboard is from Pink Floyd. Um, played harpsichord on that on that song. But I wish I could wish I could think of his name because I can't remember it now. Sorry, everyone. Oh, I'm lost my mind. And I think it was Rick Rick Wright or something like that. Anyway, who played the keyboards in Pink Floyd? If I'm wrong, you may correct me in a further comment to the show, folks. Yeah, actually, Morgan. The Morgan Studios were actually quite popular place at that time. Like Jethro Tull recorded there, Led Zeppelin recorded there, the group Free. So, um, but they also allowed musicians to record during downtimes when the studio wasn't being used. Cool. They had a circle of you know studio musicians and stuff like that. They were allowed to record in there and just do what they do what they wanted and see what they could come up with that might that might uh, sell. And this was a, a project project or product of that, which is pretty wonderful, I think. Something, cool. Instead of just disappearing entirely. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Ed also wrote in to our Christmas show, and he said, This was an exceptional podcast. I'll explain why after this. I guess I was a quote-unquote fan of Springsteen 35 years ago, and Louise beat me to it when she wrote about his version of Merry Christmas Baby. That version by the boss is the one I remember best. It's the one I've left behind. Not really, not really a fan of Bruce Springsteen any longer. This also includes his Christmas music, I guess. No, this also includes his Christmas music. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he should have put a period, and then it would have been I, then it would have been a new... Because I just thought he meant... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Christmas music, period. I guess I've left the boss back in the 80s where he belongs. This being said, I really enjoyed the Otis Redding version. You can't go wrong with a classic like Otis. Good stuff. The bell that wouldn't jingle stayed in my head for days. But you know, Backrack has that effect on me. Yeah, I love that song too. I think it's great. I have... I have a very subtle holiday connection to Bobby Goldsboro. Back in 1991, I worked on a Christmas cartoon for Peeler Rose Productions in Dallas called Snuffy, the Elf Who Saved Christmas. Can I just say that's a terrible name for the elf? Yeah, it's awful. The cartoon stars Bobby Goldsboro as the Sandman who narrates and sings in the cartoon. It's not the most memorable animated Christmas feature, but I'm proud I worked on it, and the guys who produced it, Dan Peeler and Charlie Rose, were really creative and proud of it too. My name is in the credits, just way after Goldsboro's name. This podcast was so bittersweet to me, and even though it dropped after Christmas, I still listen to it all. I'll tell you why. I'm pretty sure I wrote to you before about this, maybe even last year, about how my late friend Sean and I used to sp- used to make Christmas mixtapes for one another before the holidays. I remember because I scanned his mixtape title card like you do. This was our gift to one another, and I still have mine. The more crazier and obscure the Christmas song, the better. Sean always labeled his Christmas in Sean's ears because he was always wearing headphones. My dear friend has been gone now for four years, but I still have these tapes he made me he made for me years ago. And yes, I always listen to them during the holidays. I'm telling you this because Sean would have loved this podcast, and he would have enjoyed these Christmas songs you've spent the time to bring to us. So I'm kind of listening to your podcast in Sean's ears. Your podcast reminded me of something very special for my past, for my friend. So here's what I'm going to do. I downloaded the files from the link, and I'm going to hold on to them so I can enjoy them all during the holiday season later this year, and the year after that, and so on. Thanks again for the Christmas in Dave's ears. Please know how much it means to me and Sean, who's probably also listening up there somewhere. Well, that really means a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Ed. And Ed uh, also added, by the way, 
Here's a link to the Bobby Goldsboro Christmas cartoon. So if you go to episode 56, you will find the link there for Snuffy, the elf who saved Christmas. Now, we're leaving Haremare. Okay. And we're moving on to trains. Oh, okay. So these are train songs. And so our first one is a little bit of CanCon. Nice. This is the five-man electrical band, which people outside of Canada probably would be most familiar for, uh, of most familiar with with them for their song "Signs," which is a kind of a hippie anthem about mm. signs telling you what you can and can't do. Right. All those signs that were man. Yeah, and I then guess. the aliens are allergic to water. <laughs> That's right. right. That's the twist. Yeah. That's the twist in their songs. Every yeah, song. The, yeah, every, every song. Every song, yeah. Has an M.A. Shyamalan twist at that's the right, end. That's right, yeah. It's where you got it from. It's like, you, that song, you were absolutely right, and I was absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you were absolutely right. And then at the end it goes, and the aliens are, fear, are afraid of water. <laughs> no, and, yeah. and it's, and she was living in the present, <laughs> like in the movie. Um, the Village. The Village, yes. Yeah. All right. Spoilers for the village. It's not very good. It's not terrible. I didn't like it. Until that part. Yes. But I kind of enjoyed like, the village life and stuff like that. Yeah. If it had just been stuck in that time period. I know. And then I was like, why great. do you have to do this to us, M. Night Shyamalan? Mm-hmm. You don't have to do this. No one's making you do this. <laughs> <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan, is someone forcing you to put these crazy twists in your yeah. movies? That... Blink twice if you need help. Yeah. That's that's the problem. All right. So yes, this is a five-man electrical band, and the okay. song is called Private Train, which came from their first album, Five Man Electrical Band, that came out in 1969. So here we go, everyone. This is Private Train. Lady on the train, traveling there, see she's got flowers in her
right, so that was uh, Five Man Electrical Band. The pretty, I think, a pretty beautiful song there uh, from their from their first album. Some nice organ work and some very beautiful vocals as well. Some yeah, nice, it's a fun song. Nice I harmonies. liked it. Very nice. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the Five Man Electrical Band were, were this regular habitués of of Ketel collections when I was a kid. So. Oh, okay. So you are familiar with them? Oh yeah, yeah. They had they had a number of hit songs in Canada outside of. Uh, Outside of just Signs. I think Signs was their international hit, but uh, they had a lot of in-Canada hits as well. Right. As is common with Canadian bands. Yes, exactly. Because they yeah. get more airtime here because of CanCon. They're guaranteed it. They even guarantee time on our show. Yes. We have our own CanCon to, f- we do. to fill. We <laughs> do. Not really. I just like a lot of Canadian bands. All right. So, Which is uh, why today we're going to be playing some Marianas Trench. <laughs> um, That's right. You know what? I was watching a movie a while ago, and it was Canadian, and it wasn't very good, (laughs) and they ended with a song, and I was like, I remember this song. They used to play this song all the time on the radio in 2012. I thought it's like a fun song. It's kind of like a, you know, it's like a song they play on the radio in 2012. Sure. Right? You know what I mean? By that kind of song. Okay. It's like when they play on the radio in 2012. Sure. Uh, but I thought it was quite fun. Yeah. But the it, the guys from Victoria. Oh, okay. Well. Who did it? So it was like a Canadian content song, which is why it was on the radio all the time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was in this movie, and I was like, I knew it was Canadian. I knew this movie was Canadian because, <laughs> like, why else would they know this song? No one knows this song except for Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. This guy did not get out of Canada. I don't think he had more than one song that ever ended up on the radio. You know, I don't even remember his name. Yeah. I also don't remember what movie it was. Or the song title. Yep. <laughs> Do you want to read the next letter from episode 57? Yes. Uh, so Louise said, I got Bluetooth noise-canceling headphones for Christmas. Nice. So now I can listen to the listening party as I roam freely in and out of the house doing chores and yard work. Between songs, it sounds like you are both standing right beside me, rudely not lending a hand. <laughs> uh, Louise said, I think Ed Sheeran is plenty famous in North America, too. He was on high rotation on my hair salon's easy listening music station. You couldn't not hear Shape of You, 5 billion views on YouTube, or Thinking Out Loud, 3 billion views, uh, and the wedding dance song of way too many couples that year. His appearance in Game of Thrones outraged many because he was too well known as a singer. Chris Martin from Coldplay was Danny Boyle's first choice of a pop star to play himself in Yesterday, but I think Ed did a good job of poking fun at his own self-image. Yeah, no, I thought he was good in the film. Yeah, he was. He was fun. <clears throat> he's he just he this he's a rock and roll hedgehog. Yeah, I always sort of associate him with uh, One Direction because they okay. sort of came to mm. prominence at the same time. Both British, both like young guys were like you know. Both were both were young guys. Yeah. They did not necessarily that they like young guys. No, I I mean I. I didn't mean it to sound like One Direction was like a s- fused into a single young guy. No, no, but you said they both like young guys. Oh, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Because <laughs> no one can see your co- your uh, your uh, punctuation. Yeah. Also, I run a uh, One Direction Imagine Instagram page. Um, that's all about shipping the One Direction band members with each other. Because again, it's 2012, and that's what people do on the internet in 2012. Yeah, pretty much. You're right. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, for me, I always associate those two together. Yeah, yeah. So One Direction is sadly no longer a thing. Unless they get back, get back together again. They won't. Hey, the Spice Girls did, kind of. Yeah, won't be the same. All right, how about another train song to make you feel better, Mayor? Sure. Is it by One Direction? It is not by One Direction. I don't know oh. if One Direction did a train song. 
Me neither. <laughs> I don't know either. Because trains go in both directions, so they couldn't. Right. They were legally not allowed to do songs about trains. Although, technically, when a train is moving, it's only going in one direction. I know, but it can Trains go... don't go in two directions at the same time. I that know. would be crazy. <laughs> well, you don't know. I guess not. I guess maybe if a car falls falls off the back of it. Yeah. Yeah, wait a second. So, well, actually, it depends where the train is going, but the earth is spinning, so it, it is always going in a different direction, no. even when it's moving. No. Because if it's, the earth is spinning no. left, no. then it's going right. No. It's still going left while going right. No. Yes, it is. No. Yes, it that's is. Like, that's like the dumbest <laughs> argument, because you could say that about anything. So you could say that it, nothing ever goes one direction. Oh, that's true. Based on that. Yeah, you're right. You got it, Bear. Okay. All right. All right. This is another song? train song. This is uh, Johnny Burnett and the Rock and Roll Trio. It's a pretty prosaic name, but this is um, Train Kept a Rollin'. So wait, what kind of music is this? It'd be rockabilly. And how many people are in the band? Uh, it's a rock and roll trio. Okay. Now, I don't know, but with Johnny Burnett, so it's actually a quartet. Right. But he's... The so it's a trio plus one. Plus one, yeah. Yeah. Which is a quartet. Should be the, called Johnny Burnett and the Rock and Roll Quartet. No, because then... Then that, yeah. Then we, it would have to be five people in yeah. it because it would be the quartet plus, plus Johnny plus, Burnett. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So this is... It should uh, be Johnny Burnett yeah. as a part of the rock and roll quartet. I'm just going to start the song right now, Mary. Here you we go. going to interrupt me? <laughs> oh, are you still talking? No, that was, it's fine. I, I guess not. <laughs> I suppose I'm not talking. No, no, it's did fine. Did you ever say... No, just play the song. Did you ever, no, it's did you ever add about no, trios? No, it's fine. It's fine. Just play the song. <laughs> I caught a train, I met a dame She was a hipster and a real gold dame She was pretty from New York City And we trucked on down that old fair lane With a heave and a hoe Well, I just couldn't let it go Get along, treat the little woman Get along, let her be young When you get along Uh, Johnny Burnett in the Rock and Roll Trio with the uh, great Paul Burleson on guitar. Probably the first distorted guitar solo 
ever recorded there. Oh, really? It happened, uh, well, it happened live. Originally, an, an amp was knocked over and it, it jarred a valve loose in his amplifier. Oh. And everyone went crazy for the sound. And so he just kept it permanently like that. And cool. uh, that was I mean, it is a cool sound. It is kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that was from 1956. Did you enjoy that, Mary? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's a good song. It's a real peppy. Okay, I'm going to read Ed Dragansky's back again. And uh, Ed likes to write long ones too, Mare. So I'll just be a few minutes reading this. You can uh, take a break for a little while over there. Put your All feet right. up. All right, sure. We'll do. It says, Louise, Bluetooth is the way to go. And roaming free about the house while listening to Sneaky Dragon listening party takes the sting out of doing chores. It's the best way to listen. I can even listen while I vacuum with the noise cancelling on. Oh, I guess that's it. That's all I had to say. Well, that's good. I mean, most people listen to listening party, so the noise cancelling is cancelling listening party. So I'm glad that you have switched around, Ed. Wait, what? What? Did you say something? Uh, no. No, it's fine. I'm just... Um, But maybe with your noise cancelling headphones, <laughs> you will be able to hear the red-winged blackbirds chirping out, chirping outside. <laughs> yeah, they really have been chirping a lot lately. They are noisy. They're a noisy <laughs> bird. They like to just sit there and then eat and then yell and then eat and then yell. Well, I think they're telling the other birds that it's okay to come. Do you think so? Yeah. Hmm, then the other birds will show up, and then, yeah. then they'll all fly off together, and then they'll peep at you from the branches because you're in their way. Yeah. Sometimes there'll be like six red-winged blackbirds out there. Yeah. A bunch of females and males, and yeah. got like a juvenile or a non-breeding male that I've been seeing around. Mm. Well, cool. Yeah. All right. Do you want to read uh, Chris's comment? Yes. We don't have a song right now? No, because that oh. was quite short, so I thought. Oh, okay. So Chris said, sorry, folks, I'm way behind with my comments. Don't worry, Chris, because we are apparently, you know, we're just doing this now. <laughs> so you're good you're good uh he said this was another great show both for the music and the conversation and i started my usual second listen on a stool in our kitchen while my wife diane cut my hair diane isn't a regular listener but when she catches part of an episode she always comments on how lovely it is to hear a father and daughter talk so openly and genuinely listen to one another with such obvious love and respect of course that was just the f- the first half hour so she wasn't around to hear you make farting noises during the end credits. Still, I'm pretty sure this demonstration of delightful silliness would would simply have strengthened her impression. Of uh, course. Of course it would have. What else would it do? Yeah. Come on. Come on. <laughs> um, to the music. Game theory. Great bouncy opener. The primitives. Very catchy. Definitely should have been picked as a single. Yes. Fountains of Wayne. Yes. I really like it when bands declare exactly who they are with the first song on their album. See also the Beatles and the Pixies. What a wonderful band. Mm-hmm. Tandon Ulmer. Nice, but a bit too smooth for my taste. Well. Auto Salvage. Thought this had a lovely DIY feel. Fab guitars and harmonies. Uh, love, no, Long Island Sound. Proto Bubblegum was a pretty good assessment from Dave. I have a strong bias against the old final chorus key change trick, but enjoyed it up to that point. <laughs> That's an interesting thing to be a snob about. <laughs> Hi, llamas. Beautiful. Love the horns horns and harmonies. harmonies. I've said this before, but I tend to enjoy other bands doing the Beach Boys more than I like the Beach Boys themselves. <laughs> I can see that. I feel that way sometimes. Uh, low Anthem. Loved this one. Probably my favorite on the whole mix. Wow. Or second to Fountains of Wayne. Uh, the singer's voice grabbed my attention immediately, and the song was beautifully odd. They're a band I've known of but never checked out. My bad. Claudine Langer. I didn't know this, but I'm a huge Randy Newman fan, and guessed straight away that he'd written it. Wow, that's good. Cool. Lovely song through the cutesy pie... Oh, though, the cutesy pie vocal style was a bit much for me. Teen. Brilliant. Slight <laughs> pixie sound in the guitar and vocals. Loved how it built. 
Sorry to hear they didn't do more in this vein. Mm-hmm. Jackie DeShannon, great talent. Hadn't heard this one before. Very of its time, but in a good way. Liked the demo feel. Well, it was a demo, so yes, yeah. Certainly definitely had that feel. Uh, Willard Grant Conspiracy, another of those bands I've heard of but hadn't sought out. I really enjoyed the contrast contrast between the slightly aimless, laid back verse and killer chorus. Yeah, that's really that's really what makes the song work. Very catchy song with good instrumentation and a great build. Of the extras, Garden Club was fantastic. Loud Family was pretty great. Cordell and Cordell and Gentry, meh. Long Island Sound, um, I liked it. And Judy Smith, all right, apart from the vocal. Roaches. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, end of that. That's a that's the uh, that Long Island Sound song, so-called Long Island Sound. I'll say right back to you, Chris. Roaches, roaches. All right, so uh, this is an exchange song. This is Cindy and the Playmates from 1972 with their song "Don't Stop This Train." Are you ready, Mayor? Train five, leaving on track four.
All right, so that was Cindy the Playmates with Don't Stop This Train. Mary, I hope you were uh, boogieing down over there to that uh, song. Definitely. It was. If not disco, proto-disco in its sound uh, from 1972. So a little ahead of the disco craze, but uh, definitely had a lot of the earmarks of that of that musical phenomenon on a local Chicago record label, Camp Records. And kind of one of those fun things where it's, you know, music that probably did not make it much out of the region it was recorded in. But because of the magic of the internet, this stuff has got around and uh, people can listen to the heart's content to all kinds of different regional sounds and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, to bands that... People can listen to CanCon, not in Canada. Yeah, exactly. Like that song who I couldn't remember anything about, except yeah. for that it was popular in 2012. Yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. All right. So let's uh, go on to episode 58. Okay. And A comment from Chris. Yeah, Chris wrote to say... Hi guys, thanks for another great show. Some of the songs didn't really land with me this time, but that's okay. Dave's notes are always interesting, and it's such a pleasure to spend a little time with the two of you. A little time? What's your <laughs> definition of a lot of time? <laughs> well, it's, it's all relative, right? I guess that's true. Things got off to a swell start with Corner Shop slash Norman Cook. This was the song that opened my ears to how a great remix can boost an already fine track. Plus, it has the word bosom, which is strangely underrepresented in pop hits. Well, hard to rhyme is the problem, I think, Chris. Yes, also very regional. Also very regional? Yeah. I don't think people say bosom outside of, like, the American South. But the corner shop is from England, so yes, they do. Yeah, but I don't think that they're, like, I think that they're using it, like, as sort of an affectation. Because aren't they talking about, like, Hollywood? Sort of. Talking about Bollywood. Talking about Bollywood. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know if bosom, but like, I feel like the only person I've ever heard use bosom as not like an affectation, but like a part of regular speech yeah. was someone who was from the South. She's from, I think she grew up in like Alabama. No, it's a regular word. Bosom buddies, for instance. Yeah, but no, but she would say like, talk to reference her breasts. Yeah. She would use the word bosoms mm. just like regularly. Hmm. Interesting. It was, it was a podcast about parenting so they came up regularly <laughs> i think both women on the podcast were nursing okay and she would all say bosoms and i was like i didn't even know you could pluralize that word <laughs> well yeah it's probably very southern youth and also it just shows her upbringing that was quite restrictive probably in terms of his language mm-hmm. <clears throat> we've mentioned that before like how the word chimbly is uh, oh, yeah. the South because it because that made you avoid using the word knee mm-hmm. using the word knee so you didn't say a body part which is yeah. <gasps> terrible Table leg? Oh my gosh. Well, God, think of you. <laughs> um, Chris says, Blitz and Trapper I thought was just okay. Until the end section, which took everything up a gear. I mean, feedback, distortion, and cowbell? I'm there. Yeah, more cowbell. Am I right? Am I right, you guys? Yeah. Remember that? Sure. Remember more cowbell? More of it. Yay. More cowbell. You know what I need? I need more cowbell. Anyway. Hey, Rosetta's bombastic production undercut the sentiment for me. As a parent, I wanted to like this one, and it clearly has a special place for Dedrick Mare a pair, but you can't force these things. That's true. I like the mood of Damien Gerardo, but thought the song was pretty inert. Still, it triggered your discussion about the relationship between people and property over time, which was really interesting. I'm the same. I never pass an abandoned house without wondering about the people who used to live there. Hmm, yeah. Cargo. Oh dear, I'm with Mary here. Zzz, zzz, how can you say that? It's such a, it's such right out of the Abbey Road songbook. <laughs> crazy. The Lovin' was very pop, very 1960s, and not Journey. All good points. Perked me up after a few songs that I wasn't mad about. The Nerves? Yep, that'll do. Perked me up a little more. 
Nellie McKay? Yeah, really like this one. Just the right amount of quirk, both musically and lyrically. I did enjoy Mary's criticism that it was too round, though. (laughs) That's so funny, because even I were just talking about synesthesia this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, according to the movie, the Deadpool is linked to uh, psychosis. Oh, really? Yeah. That tracks. Durhoof. Bet they'd be great live. Like this a lot. They are great live. Timmy Thomas. I like the strip back feel. The producer who said it was done made a brave choice and got it right 100%. A new generation. I like the harmonies on the evenings I meet her part bit, but the rest, not so much. No, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that because I love that song. And it was one of the uh, spurs to me creating the uh, listening party. Or at least the CDR mixtape thing. Hmm. Eric Matthews was a fine, uplifting closer that grew on me with repeat listens and edged out Nellie McKay as my favorite of the songs I hadn't heard before this bye week. Excellent song, beautifully arranged and played. Love the bass especially. Hmm. Cool. Of the extras, House Martins were great, especially that beautiful lead vocal from Paul Heaton. I only knew Happy Hour by them. I liked the cargo song a little better than the one on the mixtape and was sorry to hear about the bad luck they had, but they still didn't grab me. <laughs> Breakaways delivered a perfect pop single. Just great. Danielson were fantastic and sounded even better with every listen. You've got me liking Christian rock, damn it. Or, I mean, my Lanta. <laughs> Timmy Thomas, on the other hand, I found really creepy, especially that do the things I like to have done line. Blech. Places Here was fine. I liked it better than the other New Generation song. I'm sorry to hear the party will be coming to a close, but all good things, etc. It's such a privilege to have you share all this music that you'd probably never hear otherwise. Stay well, folks, and thanks again for being such lovely and entertaining hosts. Mary, do you want me to... Sif- I'll just read this Ed- uh, Edward Dragansky one, just because it's very short. And sure. I'm stealing you from reading a longer, a longer one. Ed says, Thanks for the earwig by Nellie McKay. Ding Dong reminds me of a good friend of mine who lives alone with her cats and loves anime. I'll have to share this with her. All right. So uh, we're going to listen to Michael Hurley now okay, with a song called Water Train from his fabulously titled album, Hi-Fi Snock Uptown, which came out in 1972. Another 1972. Yeah. I guess it was a big train year. It was a big, <laughs> everyone, was, everyone was remembering the train in 1972. I mean, uh, to be fair, yes. trains are, uh, you know, they, they definitely uh, have their have had dips in popularity. Yeah. I think right now popularity for trains is rising. Oh, oh good. As, as a means of um, like rapid... A spreading of, of disease. Well, no, more like like rapid like mass transit. Sure. Right? It is ideal. Like the SkyTrain that we have around here, for instance. Monorails aren't the best uh, use of your transportation dollar, but yes, that is an example. Yeah. Uh, street level light rail would have been much more efficient, but... Yeah. It's not as as cool as the monorail. Mm-hmm. You can't. You don't have songs about street level, uh, light light rail. No, no, and you, yeah, you can't have like your thing at an expo where you're like, <laughs> we're unveiling this cool thing at our expo. It's gonna be a uh, like a like a basically a a, a bus, a, sur- a surface level train. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's listen to Water Train by Michael Hurley. This is a much more romantic song. I feel it's, I think it's a very beautiful song. Here we go. Listening to a wall. 
guess that she didn't really die. She had to go. I don't know why. What you gonna do in your world? It's just an endless dream. I never knew. Together, things ain't what they may seem. Walking on the ceiling like a fly, head hanging down in the sky. Some like to go by plane. I'm just like to go insane. One little drink was all I had. I didn't need a drink that bad. I fell asleep by a stream, listening. the soundtrack of mary's youth <laughs> that was michael hurley with water train yeah it reminds me of um that song reminds me of driving around in the truck yes i imagine so it was a pretty constant soundtrack at that time michael hurley i just always feel like he has just the rate of right amount of i don't care in his songs and uh, in his singing style and his approach to music which i find very appealing and nice musicianship as well like members of, of this was on Raccoon, which was a boutique label of Jesse Colin Young of the Youngbloods. And so there's uh, other members of the Youngbloods uh, playing along on this song and uh, give it just that uh, slight, the slight um, veneer of professionalism to add to the kind of don't careness of it all. It's very nice, very appealing to me. And I'm a real big fan of Michael Hurley. And I'm happy enough to see him play live. And because uh, he's one, once again, one of those people who are just unaccountably great live because yeah. they're, just, they're just like living music. Right. You know? You've also seen him uh, in a movie, right? In a movie, that's right. Yeah. Um, the uh, Leave No Trace. Leave No Trace with uh, that actor who I like a lot, Ben Foster. And that actress. That actress who was Thomason. in. Thomason. Thomason. Yeah, I can't remember her name. She's in. Uh, McKenzie. Jo- Thomason McKenzie. She's also in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's kind of pops up out of nowhere. All right, Mayor. Episode 59, which, just to refresh memories, was our my top 20 of 20, that when I put together oh. like my favorites of, of the past year, right. I was kind enough to take the bullet on the last one and gave you like a longer one to read. So what's this next one here? Uh, David M. said, also known as Uncle David to me, <laughs> said, I think you meant sides one and four on one LP and sides two and three on the other LP, just like my original pressing of Electric Ladyland. Oh, well, thank you, David, for writing in to correct me. I was trying to convey, you know, Mary, when I was a kid, uh-huh. on the stereo system we had at home, we mm-hmm. had what were called record stackers. Mm-hmm. So when you 
put your records down. You would down. listen to like an Edison's gramophone, right? That's <laughs> right, a wax cylinder. <laughs> so when you put it on the on this, it had like a a long standing like center. What do you want to call that? The the thing that the record went down onto. Whatever, mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. And it had a had these little a little kind of lever that supported the records in the air. And then when it came time for the record to start, it would move in and drop one record down. Oh, okay. And then it would play that side. Yeah. And then it would move back and it would drop the next record down and it would play hmm. that side. So when this was popular, they they programmed the records, as as David said, with sides one and four on one LP okay. and sides two and three on the other. So you could stack it. And then when you're when they played the two sides, you right. could flip it over and put it back onto the, onto the uh, supporting thingy, whatever it's called. Interesting. So and you listen would, to it like in the proper order. You could listen to the proper order and you, right. could, and you wouldn't have to get up and change it after yeah. every side as well, just just the between the two two, right. two discs. Or you could conceivably put more records that are all different from each other. Mm-hmm. And we also had a little one that was for 45s that you could stack 45s on and play several 45s in a row as well. Cool. And it would just drop them one at a time. And in those days, the records were made so that the label part of it was slightly, uh, it stood out slightly so the records didn't rub so they would be slightly apart from each other because right. the labels would be atta- would be right. touching, but not the actual reels yeah. where the, where the, yeah. the stylus to wrote. prevent the deterioration of sure. the yeah sure. interesting yeah it was it was very cool and I guess I was uh, I guess I was wrong that wasn't uh, a long comment, nope so. it was not so uh, Ed wrote in to say uh, something about the sad emoting of Damien Gerardo sucks me in as well. Isn't it Gerardo? I don't know. I okay. don't really know. I mean, it should be Gerardo, but you never know with America. They often will just anglicize names. That's true. They do. And he's from Seattle, so I don't know how, you know, deep, how, you know, yeah. many generations he's been. Yeah. Anyway. I could pronounce it pro- if, properly if you want to say. Something about the sad emoting of Damien Gerardo sucks me in as well. Kind of reminding me of Jim Croce. Croce. Sad. Crocetti was a bit of his real name, right? I don't know. I don't know about that. Jim Croce. Okay. We always just said Jim Crochet. Beautiful song. I wonder if it's actually harder to sing with that much emotion on purpose. Um, I could be wrong because I can't sing anything, but few singers seem to pull it off. The house in the cover does have an inviting and warm feeling to it. The photo reminded me of this 1976 photo of a diner in a bitter New York City. Um, a bitter New York City winter? I think. I love this photo. and he, uh, There's a link there. So if you go Is to, it to ep- the, that Thunderbird diner? picture you know that one no it's uh it's it's lonely I was, cars I was joking. oh you're thinking of the uh, edward hopper painting yeah oh yeah yeah no these are uh, have pa- you heard the story about that about that painting no where someone said like was talking to him and they were like oh like it's so i don't know if this is a true story okay. they're like oh like it's so great that you didn't put a door in it's like the like uh, like inability for them to escape this place yeah. he looked at it and was like i always forget to put a door <laughs> It might I, be an apocryphal story, but yeah. I think it's funny. I assume it's just off, out of frame. Right. Door, but yeah, it's true. There is no escape for them. I know these are pictures of uh, cars that are just like, that a guy in New York in the 70s would just take pictures of uh, lone cars on a street. Oh, okay. At night, I guess he would just be wandering at three in the morning and see like a, a lone 1970s car parked in front of a something or other. And it does, and they're often under street lights, so it does have that kind of feeling of, but it's not quite, it's not really a homey feeling. It's more of a desolate feeling to me. Right. All right, let's listen to another song. This is another train song, everyone. This is The Monkees, one of my favorite bands, especially a favorite band when I was growing up as a kid. And the song is Steam Engine, which was recorded and was supposed to be on their 1969 album Changes, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. And the reason it's called Changes is because it was just two monkeys left, just Mickey Dolans and and, uh, and Davy Jones were all that was left. Both Peter, Peter Turk had left, Megan Smith had left. It was just the two of them hanging in there. 
And the producer of Headquarters, Chip, uh, Chip Douglas, had come back. But he got in an argument with the publishing company over the distribution of rights for this song. And so it wasn't included on the record. But when I was a kid, if you watch the monkeys as regularly as I did, what happened was, Mary, mm-hmm. it did the regular run of the show, the two seasons, and then it would rerun them all again, but it would, they would rerun updated versions because when they re-released them, they put the later songs in, in instead of all the, the new songs from the time period so they could they could publicize the, the newer songs. And so that's how I heard this song. So it was it, re, it replaced a different song in an episode. I think it was the Monkeys in Concert. I'm not absolutely certain now. But it just re, so it was the same footage and everything. It's just a different song playing well, for their zany antics. So let's give a listen now to Steam Engine. From this is from the uh, box set from the came out in when did it come out in two thousand and two ish two thousand one ish around well, it came out when I had cancer I remember that anyway uh, this is listen to from listen to the band this is uh, Steam Engine by the Monkeys. So that was the the monkeys. That was Mickey Dolan's, of course, singing "Steam Engine." And uh, you know, I heard that song when I was a kid on, on the TV show, and then I always liked it, mm-hmm. but it was never available, of course, because it was never released. So I was so happy when I got the box set, actually uh, as a gift, and it um, 
And I was so happy when that song was on there because I was, oh, finally, I get to listen to this song again. It's so great. So, yeah. So, Mary, you want to read their next little comment? Yes. Um, so this is from Matthew Smith. He said, posting late, but wanted to impart how much I enjoyed this episode. Found most of the songs to be pretty swell. <laughs> the interesting thing is that no songs from my favorite album of 2020 made the, made the cut, but that's good. Gives me new music to discover. My favorite albums from last year, by the way, are On Sunset by Paul Weller, mm -hmm. Alphabet Land, X, mm. uh, McCartney 3, Universe... I, had, I have it now, but I didn't have it at the time. I don't mm. know. I don't know if it would have made the cut anyway. Um, Universe Inside by Dream Syndicate, the second album by Empty Hearts, Earth to Dora by The Eels, mm. Daughter by Lydia Lovelace, Made of Rain by The Psychedelic Furs, what to Look For in Summer by Bell and Sebastian, The Unraveling uh, by Drive-By Truckers, and The New OK by Drive-By Truckers. <laughs> huh. That's funny. They, they put out two albums that year. I guess they were bored with the COVID thing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what to Look For in Summer is a live album. So for, for me, I couldn't put that into a best of a, best of a year, but uh, I'm glad you I'm not really a fan of live albums, so no, uh, I'd be either. curious to hear how it sounds. I don't like live. I don't like anything live. I don't like live podcasts that much either. Mm. I like um, I like being at live things, but I don't like listening to them afterwards. I don't really like being at live things so much either, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't get to hear X. I'm curious how that was. I I am a Paul Weller fan, but for some reason I never think to like listen to his music. It's weird. And then uh, the Eels, I, I always find their their albums are kind of kind of dirgy. So I, like the songs always are very sad sounding mm. and kind of samey after a while. So I kind of. I kind of stopped listening to them. What about Mr. E's Beautiful? That's a great song. I know. It is. But it's a it's a bonus track on the album. Oh, it's not even considered oh, part really? of the yeah, it's not considered hmm. part of the actual CD. Interesting. Interesting that they chose not to include the best song. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Uh yeah, and Driver Truckers, I think they're good. Like I like them, but I don't know if I heard anything from it. Like for me, I have to have heard something from it that kind of caught my ear and then I'm then I'll pursue it. Right. If I hear them and it doesn't really like catch my, I mean, it, they might have like a good, like a great cut on the album, but maybe the single they chose didn't really do it for me. And so I, I, I won't hear until much later. I might, I might finally catch up and listen to it because in the way I listen to stuff, I don't have Spotify, you know, or any, or any other kind of music thingy. So I, you know, for me to listen to music, it's, it takes a, it takes a, it takes an More expense. Effort. It takes effort and expense. Yeah. yeah. So it has to be, it has to really grab me. Yeah. Whereas I just like texted that. Zach Tillman's song to Duncan and was like, hey, check this song out. I think you'd like it. Okay. <laughs> like with a Spotify link. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like easier than. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, for me, I have to like, can you Dropbox that for me? <laughs> All right. How about one last train song, Mary? This is, this is the next one. This is a bonus train song. Oh, dad. This is. Uh... Just do a top six then. If you're not going <laughs> to, if you're not going to follow your own rules. This is top five plus one. No. It's nothing. It's like, it's it's like the six. Johnny Burnett tr rock and roll trio plus one. That's six. So this is uh, Rising well, Suns but... with their song, uh, the 210 Train, or just 210 Train actually, doesn't have the in it, from the album was is called... Is it going to Yuma? Or that's 310, never mind. They, they, uh, no, it's not going to Yuma though. What? I don't believe it's going to Yuma. The 310? The 210. No, the 310 is going to Yuma. Oh, okay. I won't yeah. catch that one then. I'm going to catch this earlier train. Oh, okay. Because this one features a Rising Suns, which uh, the album's called Rising Suns, featuring Taj Mahal and Ry Cooter, and this they were a band in the in the mid '60s. They recorded an album, but it was never released at the times. So it didn't come actually did not come out until the Miracle of the CD Age in 1992. They finally released it, so we could hear it, and it's a great, 
great album. And speaking of the monkeys, they do a fantastic version of Take a Giant Step. Oh, it's so good. But anyway, this is 210 Train from that album. Let's listen to the guitar interplay between Taj Mahal and, and Taj Mahal and Ray Cooter. So good. Let's give a listen, everyone. 210 Train. Woke up this morning Feeling sad inside I woke up this morning Good girl feeling sad inside You know you decide to take a ride Why are you leaving me? Tell me why Why are you leaving again? Taking my time Riding on a two-ten train Ain't never coming back again The muddy, muddy, muddy river Is so wide and deep I say the muddy Fast asleep, baby, baby. Mr. Rivers got a secret here, key. You leaving in the morning? Oh, riding on a two ten train. Ain't never coming back again. The road of life is. Up in a rocky road The road of life Is a rough and rocky road Can you find me someone Who's gone to Carry my heavy load In the morning Riding on that two-ten train Ain't never coming back again What you gonna do 
When you lose out and there ain't no train time You know it's gonna like it fine What'd you think of that, Mary Bear? It was good. I liked it. Yeah, it's very nice. It's uh, yeah, they're an interesting group. They were super talented group of people, uh, all to you know, who kind of all came together. So, like I said, there was Ry Cooter, who after after the Rising Suns, he would go on to play with Captain Beefheart, with the bass player from the Rising Suns, uh, Gary Marker, and then they had, of course, Dodge Mahal, who went on to a very long and 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 uh, long career as a blues blues musician, and then. Another guy named Jesse Lee Kincaid, who became a classical guitarist. So he had three really good guitar players in the group. And then also, uh, well, the group started as with the drummer Ed Cassidy, played with the group. He had to quit after he injured his wrist playing this like super long version of Statesboro Blues live one time. And so he would go on to form Spirit with his, with his uh, stepson, Randy California. And then his spot in the group was filled by Kevin Kelly, who after Rising Suns would go on to play with the birds on Sweetheart of the Rodeo. So there was a lot of talent in this group, but this didn't seem to be able to get it together. Produced by Terry Melcher, you know, tried a variety of ways to record them, including this session, which apparently was just them sitting together live in the studio all playing together, rather than the usual kind of thing of, divide, you know, doing a lot of different tracks and having everyone, you know, they just sat down and did it as a live version, which is pretty cool. And it sounds great also, and pretty, pretty nice. Okay, so did you read the last one, dear? Yes. All right, so I'm going to read... A comment from Leo Lopez, and thank you for writing. And thank you both to Matt and Leo for writing, because thanks for breaking it up, because we usually get the same same people writing quite often. And, which is lovely. Which is awesome, but it's really nice when other people kind of step, step in and add their voices as well. And so Leo wrote in and said, really enjoyed this episode. I was surprised to see some of my favorites of the year on this list. Kaba, Jackie Lynn, and OOIOO are great. In my head, after previous episodes, I wondered what your opinion of nap highs would be. I'm glad you like them. I was mistaken in thinking the album of theirs I had, I'm Bad Now, was their most recent. I have since ordered it after enjoying that song so much. I'm also going to get that Proto-Martyr album ASAP. Oh, you must, because it's so good. Probably my other favorite song on this, miss, mi- on this mix. Such good stuff. My song of 2020 was probably You Could If You Can by Astral K. I really think you guys should would like it. It was put out on Stereo Lab's Duophonic label early in the year, and I can't wait until they put out a full album. Highly recommended. And I did give it a listen, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was quite good. All right. So we're going to play another song, Mare. Mm-hmm. So we're done with trains. We're done yep. with hair. Yep. We're going to the next natural thing that would follow mm-hmm. those, which is rodents. So we're going to start with okay. our first rodent sure. song. And this is, we've mentioned his name. Let's play a song by this band. This is our friend, David M., with his band No Fun, and a song from my one of my all-time favorite albums, most likely in my top 10 albums of all time, which would be Snivel, which came out in 1984, and the song is Rodent's Fair. Let's give it a listen, everyone. Okay. 
do you think of that song, dear? Uh, that, that song was pretty good. Yes, uh, I always I love No Fun, and I, I love that song. I think uh, just perfect, perfect verses, uh, great chorus, and then an absolute smashing bridge with a fantastic guitar solo as well. It's just uh, got it all, got it all going on there. From 1984, cassette only release in a uh, in a in a box. You got a box set, early box set, actually, I guess, with uh, two cassettes and a booklet with all the lyrics, and it was great. Cool. All right. Um. So our next comment, I believe, I get to read. You do. Um. So this one's by Chris Roberts. Yeah. Uh, so Chris said, "Many thanks for putting this list together, Dave. Some wonderful songs on there, and it was great to have the playlist as a download." <clears throat> download i wonder what you made the... me realize i'm not getting to hear anything like as much new music or as many art as many new artists as i'd like to i counted up all the tracks i'd already heard and came to the grand total of um frowns checks fingers on both hands yeah that's it none <laughs> need to reassess my priorities yes less haircutting <laughs> more music all right and then ed wrote to say he said i'm using Living in a Bubble, which is the Jayhawk song. Oh, see, it's by the Jayhawk. He did say that. Sorry, I started to add. I thought you might have left <laughs> Jeez, that up. Jeez, Dad. Oh, boy, am I a, what a pedant. Whew. Anyway, I'm using Living in a Bubble by the Jayhawks as the opener to my own personal 2021 mix. We're still living in the bubble for now, and I thought the song captured that, at least for the first part of 2021. Years from now, when we're all free to roam the earth again, I'll look back on this song as I play my 2021 mix. Indeed. And let's play another rodent song. This is The Kinks with Rats from one of their great albums, Lola vs. Power Man and the Money Go Round Part 1. This is a, on side 2. It's also a B-side to 8-Man, which was also on the album, which was uh, take, used as a single. So I guess the band was, I don't know. Feeling animalistic? Well, not just feeling animalistic, but it must have been in a state of flux because normally a British band at this point would provide a B-side that was not included on the album. Oh. And also, often with singles wouldn't be taken from albums either, although Lola was a single from this album as well. Or rather famous single. Yes. So this is from 1970, everyone. Here's Rats. Oh, and not sung by Ray Davies. This song is sung by his brother, Dave Davies. Oh. So here we go. <laughs>
right, that was the Kinks with their song Rats from Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Round. Yes, Paul, uh, Paul Weller wasn't the first to use the term Money Money Go Round. I just think of that Stell Council song. Everyone remember that one? Remember the Stell Council? No. Nope. Anyway, oh, don't remember. That's nope. good. Uh, yeah, so kind of a pointer towards, a kind of pointer out of the kind of the pop song, pop song sort of cul-de-sac the the kinks that ended ended up in i think with like wonder boy and days and stuff like that which are all great songs i think but i I feel like the band itself was kind of filing itself into obsolete in the in the filing cabinet of the 60s with the kind of direction they were following i think that rats kind of pointed towards their escape route into becoming this a stadium rock act of the of the 70s which which despite what you think about arista records like you know sleepwalker and misfits and stuff like that those 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 tours and stuff like that are what made the group the money they have now, you know, like um, and probably the songwriting catalog, of course. But so anyway, all right. So episode sixty, which was of course our novel, what part of our novelty mix episodes? Uh, Leo Lopez wrote in. He said another great one. I don't know if I'm convinced of the novelty of some songs. Don't doubt the novelty, Leo. Tip. These songs are all novelty songs. That, that's Mary's job, and I don't like it. I don't know if I'm convinced of the novelty of some songs, but they were all pretty good. I appreciated the 10cc lesson. Had no idea about all these early songs. Have they ever been collected together or released on compilations? I'm having a hard time finding the songs, aside from expensive copies of the 45s. And that's a good point. It is hard to find those al- those those songs. It's, uh, I have I've collected them incidentally over time by buying, like, a lot of like sixties compilations of you know of music of a like nuggets era. or whatever nuggets not so much nuggets but there's like collections of like these uh, records that came out from um, grapefruit oh, okay uh, they're like these three D- CD sets of of like kind of obscure psych and stuff like that from the sixties and that's where like Frab Joy and Runcible Spoon came from and where I heard Festival and things like that but I was able to provide Leo with a link to a fan made compilation of, of the stuff and it's kind of someone like put them all together in one place which is really right. nice so that's cool so I was able to uh, get him a link which he somehow was able to download for mega download I don't know how he got it it's really strange but anyway <laughs> he goes on to say I had I had to I uh, sorry I admit I had my first clutch the pearls how very dare you moment when you disparage Rupert Holmes <laughs> like that I love his version of Answering Machine. I wasn't too much into the Blossom Deary version. The cutesy vocals and the extra verse were too over the top, but it was fun. I love the subtle bleakness of the original, and the lady singing backup kills it at the end when she harmonizes. I just looked her up. She's Chrissy Faith, who is mostly known for singing on Sesame Street and with the Muppets. Holmes is probably the best example of someone who wrote almost exclusively novelty songs, but who wrote them well enough to justify the means. That... And this episode made me think of the of bands like the Frogs and Thinking Fellers Union Local 282 that always walk that line between total silliness and serious songwriting. It's a real fun spot, but probably the most misunderstood dynamic. Novelty tends to come off as a slight. Everything always, everything's always got to be so genuine. But I digress. Looking forward to side two. That would kind of apply to No Fun, I think. Who's a band who walks that line? Songs that are genuine and songs that have a certain element of novelty to, mm-hmm. to them. And yeah, it's uh, become a bad word to be a song, yeah. be a or band Fountains that has of this, Wayne. Or Fountains Wayne, yeah. It's yep. become like a bad thing to have a sense of humor for some reason. And speaking of that, our next song is the Monochrome Set <laughs> with their song Mousetrap from their 1995 album Trinity Square, which I think is their second album they released after they they reunited as a band because Japan showed interest in releasing albums by them. So they're like, hey, let's get the band back together. And oh, so, just like this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, that's right. So this features Bid. 
Lester Square, the original guitar player, and Andy Warren, the bass player, with some of the later members who who played Orson Presence and I can't remember the name of the drummer because they never had the same drummer for very long. But let's pretend it was J.D. Haney. Just like this is Spinal Tap. But it wasn't. Let's pretend it's like Spinal Tap. <laughs> the drummers always go. So anyway, here it is. This is Monochrome Set with Mouse Trap from 1995. Up in a tower of ebony plastic. There is a boy who dreams he's a star And people say you find the way you are Could you please sign this for my daughter? When it's eleven, brothers are sleeping Puts on the record There he's on stage And on his
right, so that was the monochrome set. And you always enjoy them, hey dear? Yep, they're great. You probably don't aren't as familiar with this one since it's from later on in their career. You probably you're more familiar with their their uh, their eighties stuff, their late 70s, eighties material. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but those albums have have their their value as well. There's some good stuff on there, and and Japan was right to take them to their heart and and uh, and prod them to make more more uh, CDs. Unfortunately, those CDs were rather costly to buy. Oh yeah. But that was that was okay. It's the monochrome set. It's worth it. Okay, so I guess you have uh, Louise to read. Oh, okay. Um, so Louise said, I always enjoy the novelty song episodes. I have no problem with calling them that since, as well as being weird and wacky, your picks are usually novel, as in new to me. I did see some performers doing a cover of Cigarettes, Wusky, and Wild Wild Women on a comedy show when I was young, but I can't remember which one. A YouTube search turned up Peter Sellers doing it on The Muppet Show in 1978, so maybe that was it. I think 1978 was also the year I accidentally heard a 10cc concert. I was seeing a play at the Vancouver Playhouse Theatre, and the band was playing the Queen Elizabeth Theatre, which, as you know, is in the same building. The sound <laughs> bled through the walls, much like at a multiplex when you're watching a quiet art house movie while a violent action movie is playing next door. That's why I always uh, go to the action movie rather than the art house movie. It is, it's a better exchange. Mm-hmm. That's then. fair. I mean, I like seeing all movies in theaters, but I do like it when you're in a theater and you can hear the rumbling <laughs> of the Marvel movie next door. It feels like the whole building is like experiencing a minor earthquake. It doesn't actually bother me. No, me neither. Yeah, it's I fine. like it. Yeah, it's fine. You, I, you genuinely like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't bother me. It's funny. Um, I'm like someone sitting in front of me, which kills me. Oh. Especially when the theater's like mostly empty. Like, yeah. I'm going to put my feet up there. Come on. <laughs> it's a movie theater. Everyone puts their feet up and the seat in front of them. Why would you sit right in front of me? Yeah, jerk. Yeah. Um, someone posted the playlist for that concert on the internet so I can narrow the date down to October 24th. The first play of the season was Hamlet, so that might have been the one playing. It would have been appropriate if I'm Not in Love played during the Get Thee to a Nunnery scene, <laughs> as it is open to interpretation whether Hamlet is really mad at Ophelia or just raging at her for show. Just keep telling yourself that big boys don't cry, Hamlet. Um, in another comment, or in the next comment, Louise added, BTW, the opening act for the 10cc concert was the Reggie Knighton Band. He has some novelty rock song titles, such as Rock and Roll Alien, Clone in Love, and UFO. I gave them a listen, and I'd say the sound is Beatle-esque. Huh. Well, that's a weird combination to me, like the idea of Beatles songs that are also about aliens, but I guess that's okay. Um, and that reminds me that I also have a top five UFO songs <laughs> or alien songs. Well, we'll so. get there one day. One day we'll do that. Actually, you know what? We're going to do it now. No, mm, it's joking. No. It's joking. Because uh, we have a different song, Mary. We have num we have uh, uh, another song in our in our top five rodent songs. And this is Junior Wells from 1963 with his song, When the Cat's Gone, the Mice Play. So let's give this song a listen. Here we go. You say you want to do this. You won't do that You won't do nothing Till you know where it's at But I know It's gonna happen one day Oh, when the can is gone You know the mind is gonna play He goes the way You stay at home You walk the door And I come along But I know It's gonna happen one day 
reason He ain't so slim He can't stand up breathing But I know It's gonna happen one day When the cat is gone You know the magic's gonna play All right, and we're back. And Mare, mm-hmm. what do you think of the Junior Wells song? Pretty rockin', pretty bluesy? Yep, yep. Yeah. Rockin' and bluesy. Of its time, but uh, pretty fun, I think, and uh, a valuable lesson that if you're a cat, don't go away. No. Don't go away. And also don't trust mice. Yes. All right. So um, let's go on to a uh, comment from Chris Roberts, who, uh, I have to say, was pretty negative in the past about novelty shows. So this is a, this is high praise indeed. <laughs> he says, thanks once again for another great show, folks. For once, I knew a lot of these songs already, but Frab Joy and Runcible Spoon were a particular revelation for me. It was interesting to hear your take on Randy Newman's song, Pants. As I think you know by now, I sure do love me some Randy Newman. But, ooh boy, that song. I think Randy lost his way with the entire Born Again album, which is chock-full of one-dimensional numbers that aim low with some fairly on-the-nose gags, rather than investing in character and place as he'd done so well, as he'd done so well before, and would do so again. His humor is always edgy, but the bitterness and scorn in this record are, are so all-pervading that I find it a tough listen. Your interpretation of what's happening in Pants was also much nicer than mine. I hear the singer as a creep who gets churned on by the thought of taking off his pants, and the last section as a lascivious invitation to the listener. Of course, that might say more about me. Oh, that guy who Don Arden is alleged to have held out a window by his ankles? Robert Stigwood! Yes, former associate of Brian Epstein. Hmm. Uh, a future associate of the Bee Gees. And in case you haven't seen it, here's a really good documentary about Ronnie Lane. And uh, Chris was kind enough to provide a link for that. So if you go to episode 60, you will find the link to a very good documentary about Ronnie Lane. Cool. I think he was uh, underappreciated nowadays. Okay, let's uh, finish off our top five rodent songs with a real banger, as they say. Hmm. This is the Maudettes with White Mice from their... Uh, 92, no, sorry, 1982 album, The Story So Far. Here we go.
Mary, what do you think of that song? I liked it. Yeah, it's, yeah, good. it's a good song. Yeah, it's a good song. It's weird, and uh, one thing. Well, it's a good song. But I was going to say it's weird in the band. There's a the drummer's name was June's Miles Slash Kingston. Which Ma- I, wait, Miles Slash or Dash? Oh, sorry, not Slash. Sorry, Miles Dash <laughs> Kingston. Yeah, Miles Hyphen Kingston. <laughs> which I just found kind of funny because I think I'm pretty sure, and maybe I could have looked it up while the song was playing, but. I didn't, but there was a writer for Punch magazine who kind of created this little novelty idea in England called Franglais, and he wrote many, you know, kind of humorous, I guess you call them stories for Punch, and published many, many books. What was his name? I think it was Miles Kingston. Oh, okay. And I just kind of found it funny that her name was Miles, or not Slash, Dash Kingston, or Miles hyphen Kingston, and uh, his actual name was Miles Kingston, if if that was what it was. I I could be wrong. He wrote five books about franglais yeah yeah and his name was miles kingston yes yeah it's kind of funny but anyway i know it's unrelated she would had nothing to do with the guy but it's just sort of amusing did you know he was also a musician i didn't know that i did not know that what did he play he played a double bass oh for instant sunshine oh interesting a comedy musical cabaret group who sang to an acoustic guitar accompaniment hmm. there you go it was formed in 1966 by three doctors at St. Thomas Hospi- Hospital in London. In 1972, they were joined by the journalist and double bass player Miles Kingston. Oh, all right. Just add a little bass to the sound. Cool. All right, Mayor. Yes. Do you want to read a want to read a letter? Yes, I do. So for episode 61, Ed Dragansky says, "Apologies for being delinquent in my writing to listening party." Unforgivable. In no way does that reflect that I haven't been listening to every episode and downloading the music you've shared. Thank you. <laughs> what downloading? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I mean, Ed, we've mentioned your name quite a bit in this show so far. Yeah. So I don't think you've been at all delinquent. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like you've been delinquent mm, to me. No. I'm adjusting the light to shine brighter in your face. <laughs> Um, I've just been severely unbalanced by writing to the flagship show and not to you and Mary. Oh, well, you're still writing to me then. That's fine. I'm okay with this. Let me just lean back and put my hands behind my head. Fair, but okay. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, The novelty episodes have been a blast. I hang on every song and every story, particularly your knowledge on the move in this episode. Sometime last year, when I took my own deep dive into Toy Town Psych, thanks to your featuring Curly in episode 50, I also discovered Shazam, I'm assuming the movie, and the single Blackberry Way. I enjoyed them so much I posted them on Facebook, asking friends if they've ever heard of this band, The Move. It didn't take long before an old high school friend of mine, who is an ELO superfan, told me, You do know The Move was the early ELO with Jeff Lynne. I could hear it in Blackberry Way, and it all sunk in. So thanks for the segment on The Move, because I'd rather hear you school me on music than look it up and fall asleep reading about it on my computer. <laughs> well, let me just step in here. Uh-huh. I just want to school school again, which is... I don't want to school you, Ed. I'm just going to... I just want to mention that... You just um, want to school people in general. I just want to school... This is my desire to school everyone in general. I just want to... I just want to uh, kind of... Set uh, the record straight. Set the record straight on this so-called Elio super... Did Elio. I say Elio? Ario Superfan. ELO. Ario Speedwagon Superfan who wrote in <laughs> and said that the that the move was essentially ELO with Jeff Lynn. Well, here the fact is is that Jeff Lynn had nothing to do with the move for most of their career. He was in a different band called the Idle Race, a different Birmingham band. And although he was invited twice to be in the move, he refused the first time because he felt like the Idle Race were going places and he didn't want to you know, he didn't want to move. He didn't want to move, and the, because the main, the main uh, mo- engine of the move was was Roy Wood, who was the so- was the main songwriter of the group, well, the only songwriter of the group, uh, who also did some some lead vocal duties with with his, with uh, the the main lead vocalist, 
and Carl Wien. Also, it was his idea to create ELO. He was, you know, he started the idea in 1969 of, or he had this idea for a group of, you know, rock combined with strings. And so when the idle race finally came to a halt, and and then Jeff Lynne said okay to joining the uh, joining the move because Carl Wayne had left. He joined the move with the proviso that the group was going to end and quickly transition into becoming becoming ELO. And so I, you know, maybe your friend would be interested to know that. ELO, both the move and the ELO were created by Roy Wood, and it was ELO's, you know, it was the template of ELO was created by Roy Wood. And although Jeff Lynne obviously took it to be- bigger and better and better heights than I think Roy Wood could have, because Roy Wood was too eccentric to be that popular, particularly in the United States, it was the original template was created by Roy Wood. And I think that's the connection you're seeing between Blackberry Way, which was written by Roy Wood, and, and uh, ELO. <coughs> But anyway, Mary, go on. Now I'm done. I'm done being a pedant. For um, once. For once is right. Okay. Uh, Ed goes on to say, I think I was a fan of ELO before I even discovered the Beatles. Being a fan of orchestra music, something about the way they integrated it into rock has always sounded right to me. Bring on more music from the move anytime. <laughs> being a huge film score fan, I immediately perked up when you discussed Randy Newman, who I collect for his scoring work. Did you know he's related to Thomas and David Newman and their father, Alfred Newman? And Paul Newman. No, not Paul Newman. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm very sure. I don't know, Dad. They have the same last name. Yeah, I know. But also, uh-huh. don't forget, hmm. the uh, his other uncles, mm-hmm. Lionel Newman and Emile Newman, were also That's film composers. Great. No, they're all... There's right. three... He had three uncles who were film composers. Wow. Um, Alfred Newman scored many of Hollywood's films from the Golden Age, as well as the 20th century film theme. Alfred's... Hmm. Is that that? Don't, don't. That's pretty iconic. So. Yeah, it's great. So. Um, good job, Alfred Newman. Um, Alfred, <laughs> and your son, Alfred E. Newman. Yep. Uh, Alfred's sons, Thomas and David, have become success- successful film score artists, and Randy is their cousin. Together, they're known as the Newman Film Score Dynasty, with a wide array of film music. I'm quite a fan of all their work. I think, can I say, I think this is the probably the only time in Thomas, David, and Randy Newman's life that Randy has been qualified as Thomas and David Newman's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that seems like the water going backwards, doesn't yeah. it? That's a, that's, a, that's a river going backwards there. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> All right. Ed goes on to say, I'd have to say I enjoyed the 60s novelty music more on episode 61. Frog Prince and 2086 were my favorites. They're good. I think I even had the 45 of Rubber Biscuit by the Blues Brothers when I was a kid, so I enjoyed the original version by The Chips. (laughs) Uh, Let It All Hang Out was very familiar from the soundtrack of Elizabethtown. I get all excited when you play something I recognize, and then I get to hear the story behind it. Evolution reminded me of Tiny Tim. How is it he didn't make it into these mixes? Well, because you've heard of Tiny Tim, but you probably have not heard of Biff Rose. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. Yep. Uh, I thought of one novelty song to pitch to you. Hmm? When I met when I when I met my wife, she was very much into Tori Amos, so she played her music all the time and even took me to one of her concerts. Being a wow. reader of Neil Gaiman, I was familiar with her through their friendship, but I really got a full dose of Tori when I met my <laughs> wife. She has a short song titled Mr. Zebra that I absolutely love. It's only a little over a minute long, and it featured a short burst of orchestration, which is what sold me on it. Novelty song? Listen and be the judge. All right, well, let's give it a listen, everyone. This is Mr. Zebra by Ms. Tori Amos. Let's get a little dose 
A dose of Amos, as they say. Sure. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Can I have your sweater? Cause it's cold, cold, cold in my hole, hole, hole. Rider to Eastricker 9. Sometimes she's a friend of mine with a gigantic whirlpool that will blow your mind. Hello, Mr. Zebra. Right into some confusion with the Mrs. Muscles marching on, she thinks she's guys of ill Amorous of all ice in a bottle to blow your mind <sighs> Figure it out, she She's a good and fair And she got a little fun to fight for money Pennies, rides. figure it out, she She's a good and fair To wear the Okay, I'm not not absolutely certain if that is a novelty song or yeah, not. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think I'd have to listen cl- like closer to the lyrics. Yeah, I couldn't really understand what she was saying because I have trouble listening to Kate Bush speak and understanding exactly what it is. That's not Kate Bush, it's Tori Amos. I know, but she sings like Kate Bush. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, obviously very influenced by her. And also, what's interesting, though, is the band playing the brass part is the Black Mike Dill... Sorry, Black Mike Mills Band, who uh, are... Famous to Beatles fans for doing Black Penny Blues, which was the uh, template for Lady Madonna, and also produced by George Martin. Cool. Black Mike Dill- Mills. Cool. Black Dyke Mills Band. I'll get it right eventually. Probably. I, I didn't even say it right there. I think. I think I still got it wrong. Um. All right. Ed uh, finally says, um, "If it pleases the listening party court, I'm a Sagittarius and would love to hear my Gary Usher rock astrology reading. I hope he doesn't tell me to wear any bright colors." Well. My um my verdict is going to have to be that we already played the so- song Sagittarius. Yes, we did. Ed, yeah. so you um hopefully already heard that one when we played it on whatever episode we played it on. A while ago. Uh, I don't know which one. <laughs> Probably 61. Who knows? Not or 62, me. maybe. Who knows? I or don't. Or 63. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> All right. So, Ed, I know I've been I know I've been tough, tough but fair on you today because I'm playing the bad cop in this in this show, but but uh, I'm going to turn turn off the light that I've been shining in your eyes now, and I'm going to tell you, a while ago you wrote, and you're talking about, you mentioned your interest in Toy Town Psych when you're talking about the move in your in your uh, letter, but a while ago you wrote and you said you're, A, interested in Toy Town Psych, and also that you really enjoyed the sound of the tack piano, or Jangle Box, the kind of honky-tonk style piano that became very popular at the end of the 60s. And so... I've, I always wanted to do like a top five songs for you, but we've not done a top five episode since then, because when we did our last comment show, we were doing the Halloween songs with it. So this time I've put together a top five plus one songs of... Uh, Ridiculous. Just call it a top six. <laughs> top five. If you're going to do six songs every time, then it's not a top five. It's a top I didn't six. Do it. I didn't do it. I didn't, only did five for the Roden one, Mary. So top five plus one of uh, tack piano songs. And we're going to start off with... An American one. So this is the tack piano, not the British jangle box. This is the tack piano. This is the Mojo Men with Sit Down, I Think I Love You, which is their cover of the Buffalo Springfield song. And the Mojo Men did pretty pretty well with this song. It got to number 36 on the Billboard charts and got to number 26 in Canada, which where we have more we have better taste. And this was produced by Lenny Warrenker, but uh, arranged by Van Dyke Parks. And I guess he'd just come out of working with Brian Wilson, so he's really bringing the kitchen sink 
with him on this production. He's got, not only does it feature the tack piano, but it also has the dobro and the mandolin and a bunch of other obscure instruments all rolling together and making this fantastic boulevard. So let's give a listen to Sit Down, I Think I Love You. think of uh sit down i think i love you i liked it it's fun isn't it yeah it's pretty fun it's got a lot of uh got a lot of stuff going on in it though because that's how that's how uh van dyke parks at this time rolled later on his his albums got kind of more spare especially his early 70s ones where he became really fascinated with steel steel um steel drum bands okay yeah and like his records are like almost all steel drums (laughs) very strange anyway I mean, I guess it's it's pretty common for artists to go through that that sort of obsession, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like it, yeah. We we hear it happen pretty frequently. Yeah, for sure. It's not always good. No. But you know, sometimes it's just something that people need to work through, right? Sure, they gotta. They love it. They gotta tell us about it. Okay, and someone who loved something it was Crystal, who wrote for the first time. Thank you, Crystal, for writing. Thanks, Crystal. And she wrote to tell us that she loved listening to the Zodiac tracks, especially Virgo. That's me. That's, I guess that's her as well. I liked it so much that I ran the podcast backwards and let co-workers listen to the Virgo track. We have a lot of Virgos on staff at the library. That tracks. Let's uh, be real, though. If there's going to be any of one, a whole bunch of one astrological sign working at a library, is going to be Virgo. Is that right? I considered, I considered doing the masters Oh yeah. to work in a library. No, you should have. But then I realized that you're getting a master's to, like, essentially, like, work 
in a customer service position, <laughs> just like being with people all day. And I don't want to do that. Okay. She goes on to say, our only Aries wanted to hear her track, so off to, the, off to YouTube we went, only to discover that there is a different Zodiac album released in 1967 called Zodiac, Sounds of the Cosmos. It is apparently music inspired by the 12 astrological signs, just like Gary Usher's The Astrology Album. And I think that you are talking about an album that was... I have to look this up because I, I went to do it earlier and I forgot to. So bear with me. We're going to have a brief pause just for a second here. Hi. Sorry. Just a little pause there, everyone. So, yeah, because I was just curious which one that... Okay, so it was uh, actually called Zodiac Cosmo, Cosmic Sounds is the name of that album. And what's interesting about that album is it was a Moog album that was done by the usual Moog suspects of that time period, Paul Beaver being one of them, and, and uh, Mort Garson, but narrated by Cyrus Faryar, who sang the song, the Elves song, John Simon song, that we played many, many shows ago. But anyway, I just kind of thought that was funny. There was a bit of a link to the show there. And what I thought, when it, the reason I thought that was interesting is because there was also an album done by Roger Christian, and I was getting the two of them confused. His album is called Discover Yourself Through Astrology, and that one came out in 1968. And he was a friend of Gary Usher as well. Both he and both Gary Usher and Roger Christian wrote with Brian Wilson. Roger Christian wrote one of the great greatest songs of the Beach Boys, co-wrote uh, Don't Worry Baby. And then he also, but he also wrote like, you know, Little Lady from Pasadena and stuff like that. You know, he's a well-known songwriter of the time period. But he also was obviously a fan of, of astrology, and he wrote an album. He did not did a similar album as, as, as these ones called wait, wait, uh, sorry. Discover Little Yourself. Little Lady from Pasadena. That's yeah. the one about the woman who, or what, the car salesman? It's a car salesman claiming the car was yeah. only driven by, yeah. But That's actually, the one that I always think is by the Beach Boys, but it wasn't. Well, yeah, the... De- uh, yeah, Janet Dean used the template of the Beach Boys yeah. to, as part of their, their That's sound. That's a fun song. And it is a fun song. And the idea of the song, of course, is that, you know, because when you went to a car place, they'd say, oh, don't worry, this car was driven by some little old lady. Who you only took it to church on Sunday. That's right. That's yeah. right. But in this, this song, she's like a real hot rod, yeah. uh, you know, r- driver. So it's this kind of funny idea. Yeah, they did like Surf City. That was co-written between them and Brian Wilson. You know, two, two girls for every boy. Do, 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 do. Yeah, all that stuff. All pretty good. All pretty good. So Crystal goes on to say, I do have one question, though. Does the Zodiac album feature featured on the podcast suggest all men wear plaid? Sporty checks? Humble plaids? Good grief. Well, my staff was curious and interested in listening to the tracks for each of their signs, our library patrons were not, and the party quickly ended as soon as people started coming into the facility. That's too bad. Maybe that points to why Mary doesn't want to become a librarian. She doesn't want to have to turn off her, her Zodiac music. Yes. <laughs> also, you need to have really good grades for the master's program. Okay. I did not have really good grades. <laughs> okay. So. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> All right. Let's listen to another song. This is another, this is a Jangle Box song, right? This is the Hollies from the 1967 album Evolution. This is a album track called Ye Old Toffee Shop. Ye Oldie Toffee Shoppy. If you want to pronounce all the E's that are there uselessly. I believe it should be ye oldie toffee shoppy. If that's the yes. if that's what you're doing. I just said, I said that. You didn't say toffee E. Oh, toffee E? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're right, I didn't say that. Yeah. What I a am. what a dummy. I know. That's what I'm saying. I press my nose against the pain of the little toffee shop. Day after day I save my pennies to spend at the toffee shop Come Saturday morning at nine o'clock 
I stand on the cold stone streets A penny every day that I have saved To buy myself some sweets A nice little lady, old and gray With glasses and the show Gives overweight to good little boys Who do as they are told She's always telling stories Of her childhood days She couldn't buy the things I can For families in those days charming little song, I think. Yeah, it was fun. But I have to say that Toy Town's sake, even though I'm fascinated by it, or I was fascinated, particularly this time when I was doing these mixes, I was absolutely enraptured by it all. It is one of the weirdest trends in, in like pop music history, I think. It, weirder than anything. I don't think anyone else could think of anything that's... Like, there's lots of been, been lots of trends, like surf music. It's weird, but you can understand like the excitement of surfing. You can understand the excitement of hot rods. Yeah. You can understand, like... Various dances, you know, the twist and things like that. Of course, those are they're weird fads, but you can understand like the fun of the dance and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But why it became like a f- this weird, you know, uh, musical trend in England to write these twee songs about candy shops and ordinary gardeners and and uh, magical lands and all this stuff. It's very strange. I mean, it's likely it's possible that it was sort of a reaction to uh, like post-war Britain. Right, of people sort of like relishing for a time that like they didn't really get to experience because they grew up like during the like the, well, that's you true. Know, the they Great Depression the... and the war. Yeah. Well they and... grew up I mean the kids who the kids in the sixties didn't grow up in the depression, but they definitely grew up in the in the post war rationing period when yeah. you couldn't even get like bananas and stuff but like I mean, that. But I mean like if you were like what, if you were twenty yeah. in nine in like nineteen sixty five, you were born in nineteen 19- you're born in 45. 1945. Yeah. So you missed the Great Depression. Right. But you were there for the rationing. You were there yeah. for a very great time in English yeah. history because I mean, England was England had to pay off all the, the war debts. Yeah. And then know? they were also trying to like recover from a huge loss of population, mm-hmm. all the bombings, yeah. loss of just so much, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So they, you know, so I mean, yeah, that's maybe part that of it is they... an escape. But I mean, yeah. I mean, the beat boom was an escape from that. The freak beat period was an escape from that. Those are all escapes. So this was like a new escape. Yeah. And it's just weird that they decided. And maybe it was to do with 
I think to, partly it was, well, it was obviously Beatle-driven because John Lennon, under the influence of, of Psychedella, but even before that, was a huge fan of like Ed, Edward Lear and Lewis Carroll. Mm-hmm. And, you know what it kind of reminds me of is um, The Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, I don't think he was a huge fan of that, but I mean, the, you know, once... But once, I feel like it has like a similar vibe. Once he brought that in, mm-hmm. once he brought in like, you know, like Lewis Carroll, like Ellison Looking Glass mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and Tales of the Jabberwocky and, and, and things, you know, or The Walrus and the Carpenter and, you know, those sort of references and to Edward Lear as well with his sort of nonsense nonsense poetry. Once he did that, then yeah, you opened it up for all kinds of different influences, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's just a weird, it is a weird trend to me. It is a very strange trend. But anyway, do you want to read the next? Yep. Um, so... Chris Roberts says, although Dave's next birthday won't exactly qualify as golden, I'd like to highlight that in UK date format, which I believe is actually a global date format with the exception of America, of day, month, year. Yeah, yeah. I think that pretty much everyone other than America uses that. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll be a numerical palindrome comprising twos and zeros, 22 slash 02 slash 2022. What? 22020222. It's the same, both backwards and forwards. Yeah. You just left out the one oh, did zero, I? yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Sounds fairly special to me. Yeah, it's cool. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And then he goes on to say, on star signs, I'm also a Sagittarius. So that ship has sailed. Interestingly, one of our characteristics is skepticism. So, naturally, we believe astrology to be a pile of centaur poop. <laughs> Unlike numerology, which is real, obviously. Despite my early fetching, the novelty episodes have been a highlight of the whole listening party experience. Keep on grooving, daddy-o and er, daughter-o. <laughs> nice. I like it. And next we have our next song in our... Wait, what are we doing right now? Uh, tack piano. Oh, yeah. Right. Tack piano. Uh, Mike Dabo. Bracket. No. Yeah. Bracket. See the little people. and bracket. Gulliver Travels, which is a single... With an anthology of Gulliver's Travels, Part 2, released in 1969. Yeah, so let's give it a listen, everyone. This is a really beautiful song, I think. Uh, Here we go.
right, so that was uh, Mike Dabo, who had been a member of Manfred Mann. He replaced Paul. Paul, uh, which Paul did he replace? McCartney? No, not Paul McCartney. Gee, I can't remember his name now. Another, a different guy, though, anyway. He was a more of a songwriter than he, he was a singer, but he was also like a really good songwriter. He wrote Handbags and Glad Rags, which uh, was famously covered by Rod Stewart and was the opening number for the British version of The Office. But he also wrote songs like Build Me Up Buttercup that uh, the foundations took to to the top. And then, but he sang, he sang like a lot of songs with uh, Manfred Mann. Probably most, the one I'd be most familiar with is his version of The Mighty Quinn, the uh, Bob Dylan song. After he was, he left uh, Manfred Mann sometime in 68. And I think because he was kind of starting to, to make it as a, uh, as a songwriter. And so he, you know, but he also played the lead in a, musical version of Gulliver's Travels, but it was called Gulliver Travels, as you noted in the song yeah. there, which is kind of strange. But yeah, it was a musical version, played it played in uh, London. And then he was also portrayed Herod in the original version of Jesus Christ Superstar, and then was in the uh, original version of Evita as well, and also wrote songs for The Fortunes, Colin Blenstone, and also performed all the music for the Peter Sellers film, There's a Girl in My Soup. So yeah, he's... He's done a lot of stuff. He's a pretty talented guy. And I really like that song. I think it's really a nice song. I don't think Nova was much of a hit, probably because the media was, were at that point in their history were on their uh, knees as far as being a successful label goes. They were bleeding money. So that made it difficult for them to have have great success. But really great production of the song. And, and just, yeah, really good. Really great song. Maybe if the lyrics were slightly different, it would have done better. Just having a song that's like all Gulliver's Travels inspired is a little weird. But once again, <laughs> fit into the kind of toy town psych of the time period. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. Is it my turn to read, dear? Yes, it is. Okay. So episode 62, everyone. This is Edward Jurgansky writing. And he said, I encourage all of my fellow listening party brothers and sisters to ask for their own Gary Usher Zodiac readings from the Astrology album. It's fun. I'm amazed how closely that came to describing me. I have to put it around 89% accurate as far as the personality characteristics go. I have no propensity when it comes to making money or economics, as the reading said, but if I take a page out of Socrates' book and know thyself, I'd have to say Gary Usher was mostly dead on. I do wear blue, but only on the darker side, like navy and grayish tones. That was fun. Thanks for playing the Sagittarius reading from Gary Usher. It was great to hear Beck played... I wasn't a fan of his when he broke into the music scene, but I have found myself enjoying his music as I find more of it. He's quite an innovative artist. When you were discussing nicknames, I remembered a conversation I once had with my late father-in-law. His name was Hugh, but since he was a kid, most everyone knew him as Buddy, a nickname his three sisters gave him. We discussed how nicknames used to be much more common years ago, and how they stuck more often than they do now. Hugh, or Buddy, explained how they were meant as an affectionate label for each other and not as a derogatory one. He had a friend with one testicle, who everyone affectionately knew as one ball. Nobody's feelings were hurt, and everyone remained friends. Most of my brother's closest friends called him Chainsaw, or just Saw, to this day because he used to make his own horror films when he was in high school and college. I have an uncle whose real name is Donald, but very few people even knew that since my grandfather nicknamed him Bosco when he was a child. He goes by Bosco just as commonly as any of the Marx brothers were with their nicknames that stuck with each of them. I have no nickname, though. Just the derived Eddie, or Ed, from the name Edward. I had one friend who wanted to call me Chuck, based on my middle name Charlie, but I shut that shit down really fast. Middle name Charles, not Charlie. Oh, Charles, sorry. Sorry, Charles, but I... I shut that shit down really fast. Only Peppermint Patty is allowed to get away with that. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I think you should 
nicknames are fine, but I think also you as the person being nicknamed have a choice of whether to accept that that nickname or not. Yes, definitely. I had a friend whose last name was Zucker, and he was called Zookeeper in school. And eventually he decided that he was no longer going to be called Zookeeper. And I remember someone calling him that, and he just kept walking away from them, even though they kept yelling it after him, until they finally used his actual name. Yeah. And then he turned and responded, and he quickly trained (laughs) everyone. But he had the kind of... That's That's how I've been training my dog to stop from jumping on me when I get home. Oh, okay. Just don't acknowledge it. Okay. Until she performs a good behavior of being on the ground, and then you say, oh, hi, good, you're good now, and you <laughs> acknowledge her. That's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Another song, Mary? Yes. This is The Bunch from 1967, a song from their single, Spare a Shilling, and here we go. <laughs> But the money's gone Just give me something for a fare I'll take a bus just anywhere And in the corner of your mind You'll be glad that you were kind to me Looking at the evening Through the eyes of a sad boy Thinking to myself that all the world is bad Feeling like a nothing I'm really just a mad boy I suppose if I had her That the money is gone Just give me something for a fare I'll take a bus just anywhere And in the corner of your mind You'll be glad that you were kind to me She was a kind of rainbow Whose globe hit the call for me Then when the sun shone one morning She'd gone Leaving me Leaving me That's why I'm looking at the of a sad boy Thinking to myself That all the world is bad Feeling like a nothing I'm really just a mad boy I suppose if I had her I'd be glad For I know in my mind That I'm feeling free I ain't got that girl To smile for me Spare a shilling for my tea And I'll take off immediately And you won't even notice That the money is gone Just anywhere, in the corner of your mind You'll be glad that you were kind to me Spare a shilling for my tea and I'll take up the meeting You won't even notice that the money's gone Spare a shilling for my tea and I'll take up the meeting And you won't even notice that the money's gone And that was The Bunch, uh, a seven-strong band that started off as a soul group, but, you know, went the way of uh, into the weird and wacky, that the way the psych was going, and realized that what they were playing was kind of rapidly losing an audience, so they, they changed their sound a little bit. And what do you think of that, Mare? I really liked that one. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, cool. I think that one I've liked more than the other ones. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah and that's sort of... I reason that I played that one is I, it's more typical of how the how the, the jangle box sound or the tack piano sound was used in most of the... Especially the British stuff, which is because I've mentioned before, I'm pretty sure I played the song Dear Old Weatherman by Mark Firth. I don't know if you remember that one, dear. But I'm pretty sure I did. I, 
I, you know, it's hard for me to look back unless I like page through all my old notes and stuff like that. So I didn't bother, but I, I seem to, I have a memory of playing that song. He did a song called Excerpt from a Teenage Opera. And that's kind of what kickstarted the whole kind of toy town psych thing. And it, and Virtz's production style was pretty much like a kitchen sink production style, kind of like a uh, Phil Spector thing where he just put all the instruments into the song. And so in most cases, like the jangle box would be part of the sound texture of the song, not necessarily a, a key instrument, but just part of the, the sound of it. And you can hear that in this song where it's not really prominent, but it's in the background for most through most of the song. You can hear it being played and it has that slightly off key sound to it. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's the kind of the most common version of it you'll, you'll see. And that's why I, I chose that, that, that song. Okay. Mayor, you want to read the next? Yes. So Let this on. one is from Chris Roberts. He says, special thanks for this episode, folks. I thought the mix flowed particularly well, all the way from felt, who were great, very talking heads-ish, to super furry animals, which, as Mary pointed out, was totally a country song. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Uh, the field music track in particular was beautiful. Oh, wow. One reason this episode went down particularly well with me was that it dropped a day after I'd had surgery to repair a hernia I'd been carrying around for a few years. Apart from taking a short walk, all I could do was lie around in bed or on the couch. So your company was truly a great comfort and helped set me up for a recovery that is progressing nicely. Glad to hear you're doing well. Yeah, glad to hear you're doing well. Hope that went went all right. Um, a little Lyle Lovett story. A few years ago, my friend Howard and I had a gig in a little... No in a local village hall as a guitar and fiddle duo. At my suggestion, we worked up an arrangement of Lovett's One-Eyed Fiona, one of my favorite songs of his. That's a good one. The gig went well, and we were chatting afterwards with a couple who were neighbors of Howard's. The man, who I also knew slightly, was highly complimentary of her performance, but the woman was very quiet. It was only after they'd left that Howard mentioned her name was Fiona, and, well, I reckon you can figure out the rest. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Okay. Our next song. Our next song. Is the Beach Boys. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure you've never heard of them before. Pretty <laughs> niche. Pretty niche group. Dad's pulling from here. Uh, and the song is Heroes and Villains, an alternate version yep. from 1966. So this is in the single version that came out, which was a re-recording of this version. This is the original version that was made by Brian Wilson over many painstaking months. In fact, in fact I think he spent the equivalent of $300,000 on making this song. And didn't use it in the end. Ended up scrapping it all and re-recording it in a makeshift studio that was put put into his house using their emptied out backyard pool as the echo chamber. And in no way is that version as good as this version. And the reason I put it on is I know everyone knows who the Beach Boys are, but this song isn't like their most known song. I'd say it's one of their least known songs until it was used in the Fantastic Mr. Fox. But I think uh, this song is a real key part of kicking off the use of the tack piano in popular music of this time period, uh, because Brian Wilson was very in influential, and he, you know, in he influenced Van Dyke Parks into using it, and Parks took the arrangements that the arrangement style that that Wilson was doing into for the productions that he worked on after he he split uh, with Brian Wilson during the the Smile debacle. So let's give a listen to this one of those beautiful things that came out of Smile that that kind of point to what a tra what a tragedy it is in music you know musically that it was never truly finished. I know that there was a later version that came out that was done by Brian Wilson with 
other musicians, but I'm talking about as a Beach Boys performance and as an album of its time, what what a major landmark it would have been if it had to come out in when it was supposed to, which was just after Christmas in 1967, or even more ideal to Capital before Christmas of 1966. But anyway, let, let's give it a listen. This is Heroes and Villains. I've been in this town so long that back in the city I've been taken for lost and gone and unknown for a long, long time Fell in love years ago with an innocent girl from the Spanish and Indian home Home of the heroes and villains Once at night, Captain Square the fight And she was right in the rain of the bullets that eventually brought her spirit high There I watched her She spun around and round In the warmth her body Fanned the flame of the dance My children were raised, you know they suddenly rise They started slow along the road, head to toe Healthy, wealthy, and often I'm not saying that song would have been a, a big hit in its at a, in its time. Maybe it was too weird for that time period. Although you know it was a it was a time for weirdness, and maybe maybe that would have been interesting to people. Who knows? It's hard to know because you know I like to. So when I'm sitting and listening to it, I like to imagine what what it would have sounded like amongst the other songs of that time period, and it really would have stood out on its own. You know, like most bands at that time were still really uh, over egging the cake, and and uh, Brian Wilson was kind of was kind of uh, doing something slightly different and although it has a big sound when you listen to it you'll you'll notice it there's not a huge amount of instrumentation on it it's it's mostly made up of voices and key you know key instruments you know so the bass in the, in the main part of it is a big part of big part of the sound and then 
the just just almost just attack piano in that center section that was left out of the the, the released version didn't have the in the cantina part of the song so you kind of miss that storytelling element of it as well I do really kind of think that that was but I think a big part of the the, the rise in popularity of the attack piano as as kind of this the the uh, instrument du jour yeah I mean they're very influential oh yeah for sure yeah all right am I next to Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, this is from Lisa Williamson, who I'm. Who? I'm very familiar with. You probably know her as well. I haven't. I don't think so. It doesn't sound familiar to me at all. <laughs> okay. From my wife, Lisa Williamson. She wrote to say. Oh. <laughs> I see. I know her as mom. Oh, that's. So that that was my problem. <laughs> there you go. I didn't know her real name. I just always called her mom. <laughs> that's true. She wrote to say, "Awesome show. Love Beck." And she adds, please play my horoscope song, Scorpio, so I can finally figure out who I am supposed to be. Well, better late than never, as they say. Mom, we were playing these the other day in the house. (laughs) So let's let's give a listen to, once again, Scary Usher from the Astrology Album 1967. This is Scorpio. If you were born October 23rd to November 21st, you're in the eighth sign of the zodiac known as Scorpio. Your ruling planet is Mars. Your key word mm-hmm. is secrecy. Your symbol <laughs> is the scorpion. As a Scorpio, you shouldn't be fooled by the scorpion symbol. Remember that in traditional older astrology, your sign was symbolized not only by the scorpion, but by the eagle. The mm. scorpion represents your supremely passionate nature, and the eagle, the heights to which that passion can lead. Your desire for gratification will remain constant, but with your strong will, you can aim your desires anywhere you please. Scorpio is a water sign, and so you can be easily influenced by your surroundings. You'll find yourself in sympathy with your sister signs, Cancer and Pisces. An earth sign, such as Taurus, will best satisfy your romantic inclinations. Oops. Scorpio people are extremely magnetic and forceful and have no trouble making friends. They may, however, tend to sacrifice others to gain their own ends. Jealousy and unscrupulous behavior is easier for a Scorpio than other signs, but they can cure these problems more easily than others. Scorpio, more than any other sign, has equal abilities for height and depth of character. One of the most famous Scorpios of recent times is Richard Burton. Your lucky day is Tuesday, and your lucky number is eight. Your gems are opal and topaz. Your color is blue-green. Financial success usually comes easily to a Scorpio, but a Scorpio may just as easily decide that he's completely uninterested in money and devote himself to other things. Your life will depend on where you set your goals. Once set, They'll draw you toward your conceptions of success like a magnet. A Scorpio woman can naturally wear startlingly attractive clothes, so she may wish to look into demure fashions to make her charms more secret and thus more attractive. And Scorpio men should avoid a tendency toward flamboyance in dress. They'll look best in blues and greens. You'll find yourself probably having some difficulty with school or study, But you can do it if you only decide to try. You may find yourself interested in medicine or chemistry. All right. There you go, Mayor. That's Scorpio. I don't really... I always feel like the person who's being described knows best how how they feel about how it sums them up. Yeah, I think so. But there you go. I don't want to comment on your mom's proclivity for secrecy. (laughs) 
<laughs> Your keyword is secrecy. <laughs> Not a very good keyword, Gary Usher. Thanks. You're a snake in the grass. <laughs> Doesn't say that. I think Gary Usher has uh, a grudge. Well, I mean, Gary Usher is is using someone else's. Uh, he's not. He's not a, an astrologist. He's just no. I know them together, but yeah. You think he's got an, a, a secret agenda? Yes. Maybe. Why? Did you didn't like your Virgo reading? No, I thought mine was accurate. <laughs> They're all accurate because we all have aspects of ourselves of all the signs. So mm-hmm. you know, I feel like the Facebook houses thing was very inaccurate. But anyway. Well, yeah, that was just random. Totally. Yeah. Ridiculous. I know. Mine was like this like massive sprawling house with like a bunch of outdoor entertainment space. I was like, Virgo? Really? <laughs> All right. Mine was a collection of corporate boxes. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Anyway. Okay, Mare. You can read our final comment. Uh, so this is from episode 63. Chris Roberts says, I love the mini dogs. Oh, thank you, Chris. This episode's rundown on the left bank was really interesting. Although learning that the wonderful Michael McKean was involved was involved did mean that all their 1960s songs were accompanied in my head by images of Spinal Tap doing listening to the flower people on Jamboree Bop. <laughs> I'm glad that I watched This is Spinal Tap last night. Yeah. Um, standout tracks this time were from The Like, mm-hmm. Fairport Convention, yep. The Fall, and The Kingsbury Manx. Viva Dissonance! <laughs> I imagine getting the songs... I appreciate oh, Sorry. I appreciate getting the songs to download as well. <laughs> the, great... <laughs> the great sequencing of these mixes often makes the whole greater than the sum of the parts. I would agree. That's one of my problems with, with how we've had to present them. And that's just the nature of what we do. But yep. but I do feel like you kind of need to hear the whole thing as it flows because then you get a better sense of how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, muchos kudos, Dave, on your spot on pronunciation of lock. Thank you. I'm not going to attempt it again, because obviously that was of the moment when you can do something properly. And when you attempt to do it again, it will fall apart. Yes. But I do really appreciate his uh, love of the mini docs because, well, not, I haven't got much love about them and then uh, love for them. And then, I don't know, I just feel like, do people appreciate all this extra stuff? <laughs> but I really enjoy doing it because I love, uh, I love music. And talking. Talking I'm okay with, yeah. but it's music that I love. Right. I want to spread the word. I want to spread the word, Mary. And speaking yep. of spreading the word, mm-hmm. we have one final song, everybody. This is our final top five songs, tack piano songs for Ed Tragansky. But top six. Well, this is the plus plus one to the top five, everyone. And so, Mary, do you remember our second novelty second novelty mix? Nope. And it had a song in there called "Gimme That Ding." Yes. That one, you know that I'm sad, I'm sad, I'm feeling yep. blue. Doodly, doodly. Well. That remember we were talking about that. It came from a, a musical, a TV musical, kind of like a kids' TV show that had been produced for television called Oliver in the Overworld, and it was one of the songs in in the show. And give me that ding. I think was the ding was the chime of the clock or something like that in the, in the story of clocks and things. And it was a Freddie and the Dreamers album called Oliver in the Overworld that came out in 1970. And so I thought we'd finish off by saying, playing the song, I Want to Go to the Overworld. Mm. This is Freddie and the Dreamers themselves doing this song. And this is our final song featuring the tack piano. And uh, like I say, done for Ed Dragansky. Hope you enjoyed it, Ed. And uh, here we go.
right, that was uh, Freddy and the Dreamers, and I want to go to the Overworld, which, you know, for a kids kids show done for television, that's pretty pretty good music. I think it's pretty yeah. impressive. I feel I don't know. Do we have that kind of do we have that kind of weird ambition nowadays to do yes. something like so? Phineas and Ferb. Phineas and Ferb, I guess, but a lot of that's pastiche, whereas this is trying to be something that's new and different. And but yeah, Phineas and Ferb was very ambitious. Yes, they had. Lots of different types of songs. Yeah. Lots of different songs, lots of different songs. Yeah. And, like, they weren't... A lot of them were pastiches. Yeah. But a lot of them were just trying to be, like, seriously, like, good, enjoyable songs to listen mm-hmm. to as mm-hmm. well, right? Yeah. That's true. I just think in terms of, like, the concept, though, of a, of a show where it's, like, the whole thing of the overworld and the, mm-hmm. this land of clocks and the king and all this kind of stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. for its time, it's probably almost irreproducible Yeah. In, in its time, you know, like... They did, probably didn't have the technology to really carry it off as well as they mm-hmm. the dream was to make it. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's very interesting that that kind of over over or that sort of uh, overreaching ambition you mm-hmm. know, like a, for a kids show in a time like that. Where, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it also existed, existed at a time when TV companies were cheapskates and, and erased everything they did. So it's probably yeah. lost to the ages as well. As the music has come down to us, but it's unfortunate. pretty fun, pretty fun stuff. So yeah, like I said, I hope I hope Ed enjoyed that because that was for him. I know all about tack pianos. I don't need to make a top five tack, tack pianos thing, except for the fun of it. And it was a lot of fun, actually, because <laughs> I really like all that music, but it's good. I know actually... you do, because you put six. You put six <laughs> songs in your top five. <laughs> well, she must have liked it. It was partly that, and partly I, when I got to the end of the, the, the uh, my list of songs, and I realized I had no song to, to kind of cap off the comments, I was like, well, I better add one more. Mm. So then I added this song, because it's related to stuff yeah, we've done before as well, fair. so it's kind of fun. That's fair. Well, anyway, so that was a lot of fun. Well, thank you, everyone who who wrote in t- over the course of those episodes. Really appreciate it. We do love to hear from all of you and read them all. And even though we don't comment on the website, um, I, I always am tempted to do so. But then I'm like, well, but we want to do a commentary show, too. So I don't want to, like, spoil my thoughts. So so I kind of resist. But do appreciate everyone writing in and, and talking to us. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun for us. And it does make the show feel... Well, I enjoy doing it anyway, but it does kind of add that extra bit of fun to it. So. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like we spend a lot of time doing this show. Yeah. And it's nice to know that people are out there listening and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's kind of like, what's the point, you know? Like, Dad <laughs> and I could just sit and talk on our own. We, did, we, did not, we don't have to <laughs> record it record it, and edit it and do all the research and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Mare. Mm-hmm. Should I tell people how they can contact yes. us? Let's let's end the show now because it's pretty long already. Well, they can go to sneakydragon.com. On there, they can find our contact us area where they can find our email address, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com, our Facebook, Sneaky Dragon, our Twitter, sneaky underscore dragon. Uh, there on our website, they can also comment on our sort of episodes. So that's where most of these or all of these comments came from this time, I think. I don't think we had any any emails this this time did we for the show the last show you mean no for this one this we just read a whole bunch of messages yeah all of them were from the website none of them were email right um yeah i don't think i got any emails i don't remember now though that's I okay have, i might have missed emails <laughs> no it's all right i'm just saying that that's was, where these all came from yeah these all came from the so from the website. that is like a good way to contact us because people can see and comment and interact with your your things and other people can read it and i think people like to to read them and so. if you did email i apologize if i missed it because I did, was sort of mono-focused on the, uh, the oh, comments. that's fine. We had a long show. So, we did have a long show. You know, maybe we'll get to them in the future at some point. Maybe. No promises. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. We love you guys. We do. We do love you, and we appreciate all, all your kind attention. And just as we go out now, we're just going to finish with top five. 
Songs about... Top five ways to say goodbye. <laughs> I like to say, see yeah. you later. Yeah. Um, I like to say, have a good day. Okay. Um, I like to say, bye-bye. Okay. Um, I like... What, what are we at? Three? Yeah. I like to say, like, just kind of like, smile and like, you know. Um, okay. But my, I think my top way to say goodbye yeah. is something I do a lot. Yeah. Because I'm a very awkward person okay. where a conversation is happening um, and I just walk away. 